1: This is the Hagman and Hagman report. It is June eighth, twenty seventeen. The day that was, the day that was for Comey, right? The dog and pony show, or the dog and Comey show? What is it? I don't know. Uh, obviously, today Comey had testified in front of the uh, uh, the, the Senate committee. Very interesting testimony. We kept our eye on that, and so many other things as well. A lot of news. Uh, folks i mean it's it's an incredibly heavy news day behind the obvious behind the dog and pony show behind those things of course uh other big headlines we are going to get into a lot of those tonight we've got a guest coming up right now uh michael snyder you know him from economic collapse blog he is a, a just a tremendous writer my goodness you know who he is everyone knows who he is um and we're we're blessed to have him uh coming with us shortly but uh you know it uh, it's interesting just real quick here it's interesting with respect to uh, James Comey that uh James Comey admitted to leaking himself leaking his own memos right i guess it's okay it's okay if he doesn't and there's many things uh, many things so wrong with this and of course Comey's uh uh, decorum commented on by numerous, uh, pundits and some say, oh, my goodness, he's believable. Others, you know, it, it's, it's very politicized, but interesting day nonetheless. But the, behind the headlines, of course, you're looking at the, uh, censorship of, of, uh, things like, uh, Muslims and Allah from various interviews. Yeah, there was when a, we're talking about Islamic attacks.
2: Paul Joseph Watson did a, a video pointing this out today. On there was a, a another attack in the UK. There were three Muslim women who the BBC and others reported were Asian, who attacked a girl or or a woman. The three of them, while screaming out uh, <laughs> about Allah and stabbing the woman, and yes, the news yes. reports reported them as as three first Asian women, which is what they do when it's a Muslim suspect or suspects. And then they edited out eyewitness reports of these people screaming out Allah Akbar. And they also edited out any references to this being uh, any, have any having anything to do with Islam, Muslims, or even a, a hate crime. And what Paul Joseph Watson went to point out is that the mayor, Sadiq Khan of London, he made, he gave an interview a few days ago where he was asked, you know, what are you going to do with the other, uh, jihadis that are, that you know, the returning ISIS fighters that you know are here. And he made a statement along the lines of, well, we can't monitor them all. And then and, he turned the, around the, the next day to make Joe, statements that number, about hate crimes. Yeah, that number
1: people. was about 800. Just, just to okay. be clear, 800 that they know of that they let back in after
2: actively fighting in Syria and that area. As and well. Sweden has done the same thing, welcoming back and, and giving benefits to returning ISIS fighters. But the, Paul Joseph Watson went out to report that Sadiq Khan um, had a press conference and, and was talking about Islamophobia and how they are you know tracking down hate crimes from people who are Islamophobic on social media. Not worrying about the the real threat out there, you know, going after those who are speaking out against the threat, and and, and this will be the uh,
1: the, um, the the well, this is a war, this is where the war is taking place. It's the war of censorship. Michael is going to be talking about this as well.
2: Yeah, he is the uh, the founder of the Economic, uh, the economic, economic Collapse yeah. Blog dot com, and he is an author of a number of of great books. Um, the Rapture Verdict is one. Get prepared now is another one. And, and folks, you
1: know who he is. Um, and so many, we we've had so many requests to have him on. It's just incredible. It's every day someone writes and 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 just asks to have Michael Snyder on. So and we're so glad the, to have that.
2: Yeah, the beginning of the end is the yep. the the other book. And yeah, he's a returning guest. He's he's been on before. Very very popular, Mr. Snyder. Welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report.
3: It is great to be on with you all again. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: Oh, it, it's our it's our pleasure. And uh with you know what, um, Michael, uh with Father's Day coming up, I want to remind everyone um folks uh omahasteaks.com, steaks.com, omaha portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by omahasteaks.com. Use our coupon code HH in the search bar. You made me think of a fine uh, steak on a grill, uh Michael. You you did. Um <laughs> it's uh, sitting back talking to you over uh over a nice cuban cigar and a and, and a or a nice cigar and, and a steak on a on a nice summer day talking over politics geopolitics and such and ironing out the uh, ills of the world that's kind of the uh kind of the framework i've got in my head uh right now with you but anyway uh well will tell you uh, thanks for coming on and uh i also want to mention two folks our program broadcast over global star radio network also btr and youtube live as well so you're speaking to a, a wide audience and much larger than the last time you were on so so michael i gotta ask you we gotta ask you joe and i right before the show we were both wrestling over which questions to, to hit you with first but gotta ask you what you think about the comey hearings today
3: Well, I thought that, uh, they were essentially, and I just posted an article about this on the economic collapse blog, I essentially thought that it really turned out to be a huge nothing burger in that, you know, Democrats were really hoping that this was it. They're gonna nail Trump to the wall, that they're gonna go for impeachment, that this is the end of the Trump administration. But in reality, you know, yes, Comey called Trump a liar. But you can't be impeached for lying, and all presidents lie. In fact, if you were to get rid of all liars, we wouldn't have hardly any politicians left in Washington, D.C. You know, so lying isn't a crime. Maybe it should be, but it's not a crime. So, you know, and and then on the other end, the bigger question, though was, did Donald Trump commit obstruction of justice? And that's what everyone's talking about right now. Now, and and there's actually a very easy answer to that question. I see all this speculation on the mainstream media, but at the end of the day, when you're talking about obstruction of justice, you've got to go and actually look What the law actually says. And so there's two statutes that mainly deal with obstruction of justice. And if people want to look them up, they're 18 U.S.C. 1503 and 18 U.S.C. 1505. That's the shorthand way of identifying those federal statutes. But first of all, the important thing to remember when, when we're talking about obstruction of justice is that Donald Trump was James Comey's boss. So just like you know if you have a business you have people working under you or just like Donald Trump is the is the uh, head of the military is the the commander in chief of the US military similarly Donald Trump is the boss of the FBI and Donald Trump was James Comey's boss. Right. So at any point if Donald Trump wanted to fire him he could fire him at any point and and Alan Dershowitz actually pointed this out on CNN because CNN guy had him on, and and and, 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 Alan, and Alan Dershowitz is very liberal. You know, he's not conservative, but uh, and, but and and Anderson Cooper got all upset with him for this. But Alan Dershowitz pointed out, hey, if Donald Trump wanted to, he could have gone to James Comey and said, "I order you to end this investigation and not proceed with it any longer." So he could have gone that far and still be exercising his constitutional authority. So the first point we need to remember is that Donald Trump was fully within his authority as president to do what he did even if everything James Comey is saying is true
1: correct correct and, and one thing you mentioned that I think is extremely extremely important with respect to the memos you mentioned the specific area of the, or the specific uh, uh, section of the US uh, uh, criminal code and, and for James Comey to take contemporaneous notes whether well take notes uh, uh, either contemporaneously or immediately following his discussions meetings with uh, the, the president Donald Trump, if he felt for one instant, and, and you pointed this out, but I, I think this needs to be reiterated, if he felt for one instant that there was an issue of obstruction or the, co- the commission of a crime, that he was being asked to either uh, to to, to uh, stifle or to erase whatever. He, it would be his obligation, given his capacity as a federal law enforcement officer, to go to, to go to the Department of Justice immediately with those notes and say, we've, we've got a problem. He didn't do that. Instead, he tucked it in a drawer, his, uh, the contemporaneous notes, tucked them in a the drawer and used them for later political purposes, which is really a low blow, I believe. But, but you, you know, you nailed it.
3: Yeah, and, and Comey could get into trouble for that because under federal law, he's under actually under an obligation to report anything of that nature immediately. So he could be charged under that law. He could also be potentially charged for leaking, and that's something we need to look at. We're not sure if if that would fit under the law or not yet, but that's also something that Comey could get in trouble for, and also potentially perjury, as now his new testimony is contradicting earlier testimony, where he's saying, hey, no one tried to get me to shut down any investigation, and now he's contradicting himself. So did he commit perjury before? So those are like basically three areas that Comey could end up himself in big trouble with the law. So, you know, people aren't really talking about that. But getting back to, you know, 18 U.S.C. 1503 and 18 U.S.C. 1505, uh, and even if Trump was not acting under his constitutional authority as Comey's boss, as the president of the United States, if we want to ignore all that for a second, if you look at those statutes for obstruction of justice, yeah, just under that, the, the prosecutors would have a really, really hard time. First of all, because there, there's a number of elements they would need to prove. Two would be particularly problematic. Number one, they would need to prove that Trump acted corruptly in in uh, attempting to get Comey to end the investigation, and that would be exceedingly difficult to prove. Secondly, there's an element that there must be an some type of ongoing proceeding. That Trump was trying to influence or 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 whatever, and there's no, there's there no grand jury that we know of no sort of proceeding was ongoing that Trump was trying to influence, and so even if you wanted to ignore Trump's constitutional authority and the argument that Alan Dershowitz is making, I mean, it it just doesn't fit under those statutes. There's no case for obstruction of justice. And Jonathan Turley, who's also quite liberal, has pointed that out, legal expert. I mean, people who are looking at the law objectively say it's not there. But, of course, what the Democrats want to believe, they want to believe that there's obstruction of justice. They want to believe that there's a crime because they want to get rid of Donald Trump. That's their goal, so that's what they want to believe, um, and so that, that, that's what they're pushing very, very hard for. And there's a number of establishment Republicans as well. You know, I believe John McCain and Lindsey Graham are among them that would be very much in favor of getting Trump if they had the opportunity to vote on impeachment. So, you know, Trump has to be very, very careful because the sharks are circling. They want to get him. I, but in this case, there's just not, it doesn't fit for obstruction of justice.
1: Well, Michael, I, I, we agree with you, both Joe and I do, and we were talking again before the show. Um, here's how I broke this down mentally here as I was, um, uh, watching the, the various hearings and Joe and, Joe is researching. We've got the legal, uh, aspect of, of this, of, of the testimony, and then you've got the political or the, uh, optics part of this there the the legal basis favoring president donald trump is very good that really there's there's nothing uh legally that uh, would suggest any legal improprieties or any criminality or or anything whatsoever but the political optics on this being spun by the corporate media that's something totally different and that's the fight where the progressives it appears to me want to take this is into the uh court of public opinion as opposed to uh the uh just just a regular uh senate or congressional hearings they want they they want to try this in the in the minds of the public and i think that this is what we're seeing so even in a win uh situation. I, I look at this as a polar opposite of the of what happened to Hillary Clinton and the Benghazi hearings and uh Holder and Fast and Furious and such, where they prevailed uh exquisitely prevailed, you know, optically in in the in the media, at, at least by way of the corporate media, but failed on the legal avenues. Your thoughts on that.
3: I mean, I, I think you make a lot of sense there. I agree with you in that i th- the Demo- trump is going to come out of this you know not necessarily looking the greatest because you know he, he he didn't do anything that was a crime, but, you know, an argument could be made that it was inappropriate or that it didn't look great. And, then, and the Democrats are going to try to make as much of this as they possibly can because they're really focusing on 2018, the midterm elections, and their goal, the, what the Democrats want to do, they want to create this huge anti-Trump backlash, which will give them this surge to retake the House, retake the Senate, and then from there, beyond that, then they would have the majorities to impeach Trump, do whatever they wanted to do, and they're gonna keep trying until they can find something that sticks. But they need a majority, because right now it'd be really hard to get impeachment through the House, I believe, just because the Republicans have a significant majority. But if Democrats could take back the House and the Senate, well then the the whole it's a whole different ball game. So yeah, the Democrats without a doubt are trying to score political points with this whole thing. And 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 also slow down Trump's agenda, because if Trump has to deal with this the whole time, he's not moving forward on tax cuts. He's not, not m- moving forward on trying to replace Obamacare. He's not moving forward on a wall or any of the other things he wants to do. So this is, a, this is yet another method that they're using for obstruction.
1: Exactly. You're exactly right. How are we looking with respect to appointments? And uh, I would, This is something we don't see reported on very often, if at all. Uh, where is Donald Trump at with respect to his appointments, the cabinet positions, the uh, various uh, judgeships? I know that uh, he appointed some judges recently. Uh, however, are, are we behind in, in this process? And as such, are we are we suffering the consequences of that delay by having this uh, thrown these roadblocks thrown up by Obama, Clinton, and all of the uh, rhinos, uh, as well as the progressives?
3: Well, from everything that I've read, the Trump administration is way behind in terms of appointing not the top-level people, but kind of the mid-level and lower-level people that really fill out an administration and fill out a government. What I've read is that they're way behind. And, of course, the Democrats are drawing out every hearing I saw what, well, we a story today where Bernie Sanders just eviscerated one guy who was, who was nominated for one position because he was a Christian. He posted something on his blog about how Jesus Christ is the only way, you know, to the father and that the Muslims don't know God because they don't know Jesus Christ. And Bernie Sanders just went nuts on this guy. I, I can't recall his name right now, but I just looked at the story early today. Yeah, but saw you know, that. They're, yeah, they're bad. Drag- uh, yeah, and so the Democrats are just uh, drawing out every, you know, they're they're trying to slow it down. But see, Trump not only needs to fill all these positions, but ultimately we've got a deep state which is at war with Trump. And so I've I've been arguing ever since. You know, Trump was inaugurated. That Trump needs to really hurry up and basically do a full house cleaning of these government agencies, as many people as possible. But then the problem is, you've got to find people to fill all those positions. Then you got to, you know, get them and, and go through their hearings and get them. And so it, it's a very long process, but ultimately, you know, we're talking about. A government that is very aligned with what I call the liberal world order, which is a term that Joe Biden used in his last speech, uh, you know, that he gave at the World Economic Forum. It's a, a, a term the Washington Post used for Barack Obama's last speech at the United Nations late last year. But this liberal world order, which in, in essence is the new world order, but that the elite are calling it the liberal world order, but it really dominates. Every every layer of our government, government agencies, entire agencies like the EPA are just crawling with these people. The the deep state, the liberal world order, where they've been doing things a certain way for decades. And now Trump comes in, but he's only one guy. I mean, but he's literally trying to change the whole executive branch. But that takes time, and then he's got to find try to find good people to put into places, and 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 that's proving to be difficult to do.
2: Mm. Yeah, and and what you were referring to was uh, there was the the budget Trump's budget nominee who was being questioned by Bernie Sanders, and uh, this guy's name is Russell Vaught and uh, Sanders quoted a letter of condemnation that this guy wrote, where he wrote it from a Christian perspective, and Bernie Sanders basically turned around and, and focused on. On this this guy's uh, letter, as from being a, the perspective of being a Christian, saying that uh, he, he Bernie Sanders was claiming that Vought's letter uh, desecrated American Muslims and those of the Muslim faith, and it, it exhibited hostility uh, towards other religions. And it was very interesting because this guy was not using this as a as a point of. Uh, anything. This was just part of his background. And It was a letter he wrote yep. from a, from the Christian faith, uh, and Sanders went on to talk about how it desecrates Muslims and Jews. But he was very hostile in his line of questioning, especially after the last time. I think it was the second or third time uh, that vote said he was uh, he he believed in Jesus Christ. Sanders slammed his hands down on the table and, and got you know. Are you saying that you know, the rest of the Muslims and Jews are are beyond saving? Something like that. He made it a very uh, he turned it into a scriptural argument, and the guy could have said, well, "You know, I'm just quoting what's in the in the scriptures," but he he, he didn't. Um, but he would have been well within his, his rights to. But Sanders went then went turn around and said, "I I uh, recommend that he not be, you know, able to fill this position, just based on the line of questioning about the guy's Christian faith and beliefs." So that was a very interesting exchange. And folks, I'll I'll post it on Hagman Report tonight. Um, Michael, when we see this. This climate of, you know, this the political politicalization of everything, the Trump Russia narrative, the Comey stuff. We seem to, in the last few months, the economy. Uh, we, we get reports that the the stock is still strong, the economy is doing good. We're adding jobs here and there. But one thing that's being overlooked is what we went through in in oh seven oh eight with the housing market bubble. And a lot of people are saying that the indicators are back, and we are finding ourselves in another similar situation.
1: In fact, Joe, we have a page of questions by email to ask, or uh, speaking directly to this, uh, asking us to to address this with Michael Snyder.
2: Yeah, and one Given of the, the central
1: banks uh, 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 recent article about central banks and such. Go ahead.
2: One of the uh, interesting uh, figures came out today was that. Uh, Liquidity in homes was at an all-time high in America, $94 trillion, I believe. And there are a number of other indicators, such as housing prices and and, uh, loans, interest rates. Are we, Michael, in your opinion, are we at the place we were in in 06, just before the last housing bubble collapse, or is this different?
3: I think it's very, very similar, because right before the last crisis, we saw home prices just explode. And I remember at that time, I was back in D.C. working as an attorney, and some of my coworkers were saying, hey, I really got to buy a house quickly before I get priced out of the market. So the housing prices were going up so fast, and, and my coworkers were racing to try to get a buy a place before the prices just went up too high, and they couldn't even find anything to afford anymore. And, of course, we know what happened afterwards, and things completely crashed, and then you know people were so underwater Water, you know, because they got these mortgages they couldn't afford. So I think it's very, very similar. We're seeing so many parallels to the buildup of last time around. And, and you know, these things keep happening over and over. You know, since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, we've had 18 different recessions or depressions, where we've got these boom and bust cycles that happen over and over again. And the more Uh, central banks interfere, the more federal, the Federal Reserve interferes, the federal government interferes, the bigger the booms and the busts tend to be. And so now what we've seen since the 2008, we've seen more interference by the Federal Reserve in terms of pushing interest rates all the way down to the floor, in terms of, uh, you know, trillions of dollars of quantitative easing pumping money into the financial markets. We've never seen intervention on that scale by the Federal Reserve before. And then also the federal government, where when Barack Obama entered the White House, we were $10.6 trillion in debt. Now we're essentially $20 trillion in debt, adding more than $9 trillion of debt to the national debt during Obama's eight years in the White House, unprecedented. And what that did was take $9 trillion of Consumption from the future and bring it into the present. And so, and, and that should have stimulated the economy like crazy because the federal government has never done anything like that before, spent so much money that it didn't have. But, but, and you guys probably saw my article on this, What kind of economic growth have we seen over the past 10 years? I went back and averaged economic growth over the last 10 years. I got on my calculator, and I did this, and took all 10 years, add them together, divided by 10, and what I found was average economic growth over the last 10 years has been 1.33%. Absolutely terrible. I said, man, that sounds horrible. So what I did then is I compared it to the 1930s. I went back to the 1930s. Took the 10 years there, added them up, divided by 10. You know what I found? I found the average economic growth during the 1930s, the era of the Great Depression, average economic growth during those 10 years was 1.33%. Exactly equal. So I said, that can't be right. So I went back and re-ran the numbers from scratch all over again, because I thought, that, 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 that's a real strange coincidence. That can't be accurate, but it was. It's the truth. So for the for the past ten years and the 1930s exactly the same. And now you know with the first quarter here with 1.2 percent uh, economic growth uh, you know on an annual basis, you know we're still we're, we're still not even though the government manipulates the numbers massages the numbers even with everything they do to kind of boost them with their you know different adjustments. You know, we still can't get decent economic growth. In fact, Barack Obama was the only president in all of U.S. history to never have a single year when the economy grew by at least 3%. And he had two terms to do it, eight years. So we've had this really poor stretch of economic growth, and now, and we can talk about later, there's a lot of evidence emerging that this stock market bubble, this house price bubble, and all this stuff, just like in 2006, 2007, getting ready to burst, and that we're actually headed for another major economic slowdown.
1: And uh, I, I believe this is going to hurt a lot worse, given the fact that, uh, uh, I'll call it scar tissue, as built up from the 7 08 uh crash but, but but having said that folks our our guest is michael snyder, his website the economic dot com he writes for a couple of other websites as well. you can find information about uh our guest on the economic collapse dot com if you haven't if you, if you've never gone there, go there my goodness it's a wealth of information, and uh we're talking about a number of things that are on uh, his radar our radar, and of course. Uh, Mr. Snyder is also the author of The Beginning of the End, which is available on Amazon and uh, the, the the Rapture
2: Verdict. Yeah. Uh, a number yeah, of other, yeah. other books as well. Go, go to the
1: Economic Collapse bookstore
2: there, uh, too. And Michael, uh, are you yeah. writing for the Business Insider?
3: Yeah. That would, the one um, they they have ran uh, a number of my articles in the past, but uh, these days uh, you know I'm more commonly on sites like Zero Hedge, Infowars.com, and actually my articles appear on dozens and dozens of websites all over the internet. So you know so many people come to my websites, but actually more people read my material and know me from all these other tremendous websites all in th- that are much bigger than mine. You know, but my ph- and my philosophy is. Always been the more people that see the information, the more good it will do. So I've always said, Hey, take my information, spread it, share it wherever. Because the you know, ultimately, the goal is we want to change society, we want to change our world because we're headed in a very bad direction. And you know, our goal is not to just sit back and complain about it and say, Look how horrible it is, but ultimately. We, we're part of a movement. We want to restore the republic. We want to, we want America to be what it once was and, and make it great again and turn this country back to the values and principles that it was founded upon. And so ultimately, what you're doing with your radio show, what I'm doing with my websites, we're winning hearts and minds one, one at a time. And, and, and we can do that because our arguments are better, our our proposals are better, our values are better. The left doesn't have anything to offer. What the left has to o- offer is Kathy Griffin holding up a bloody head of Donald Trump. And, you know, that's that's a perfect picture of what the left ultimately has to offer, which is nothing. You know, and the end game of socialism is North Korea, it's Venezuela, they don't have anything to offer. But we're building an army, one heart and one mind at a time. But then ultimately, beyond that, beyond the information war, we've got to take ground, and so we've got to start taking back over these institutions in society, whether it's the media, whether it's the education, whether it's the legal system, the court system is a big thing. We need good, patriotic people uh, that believe in liberty and freedom to go to law school and to become lawyers and to become judges, because right now it's completely dominated by the radical left. Um, but of course politically as well, which we can talk about on this show, um, and it's an, an area that uh, looks like I may be moving into but all these institutions in our society which are controlled by what I call the liberal world order um, we need to take them back uh, and it's going to be one school board seat at a time, one state legislator legislature seat at a time. But uh, so that's why I'm encouraging uh, uh, people all over the country, whether hundreds of people, thousands of people. You know, we need. Uh, you know, Charlie Daniels says, "Hey, we need a thousand Paul Revere's to ride." You know, we need a, a thousand new Ron Paul's to rise up and and to be willing and to run for office or to you know take positions of authority in the system so that we can literally. Start taking America back.
1: Amen to that. <laughs> You're exactly right, and I don't know how far you want to go with with where you indicated. Um, I, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to give anything away, so you feel free to to go as far. You know what I'm talking about, right, uh, Michael? I,
3: I believe that I do, and uh, okay. yeah. And if people have been following my work, it's, it's no secret. In that here in Idaho. Uh, the uh, I'm in uh, northern Idaho, and we're in di- uh, Congressional District 1, and, and there's two congressional districts in Idaho. We're in District 1, and the congressman who is from this district, the member of the House of Representatives, is named Raul Labrador, and, and he's not running again because he's going to run for governor. And so there's no incumbent, nobody, run, you know, no incumbent, here in this district in the district that I live in and uh, so and my wife and I have talked it over very very much and we are very very strongly considering uh, running for that seat. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of running for that seat in Congress and uh, but but one voice, one seat, won't do it. What we ultimately need to do, and what I'm encouraging people all over the country to do, is to challenge every House seat, every Senate seat, every seat in the state legislature where somebody that believes in liberty and freedom and constitutional values is not already occupying that seat, which is most of them, but I'm encouraging people to run. And, yes, some of us will win, some of us will lose, but ultimately we need to start taking that ground because uh it's become clear no matter how many radio shows we do or how many articles we write, how many street protests we do, they're not listening to us in Washington, D.C. So Donald Trump said we need to drain the swamp. I compare it to more like flushing a toilet. And that one of the things that we really need, I believe, are term limits because members of congress today they they're always Concerned about their next election. For example, Al Franken recently admitted that he'll spend up to three hours a day as part of his day just making fundraising calls for his next election. You know, and and then of course that allows the special interests and you know and the the big donors to have so much influence because they fund the campaigns to keep getting these guys reelected over and over again. So they don't care about us. Our representatives only care about those that are funding their campaigns. So. what I would propose is that we limit every member of Congress, both the House and the Senate, to one term. Then people wouldn't have to worry about raising money for re-election. Instead, they could be about the business of the people.
1: Amen to that. And everyone can make a difference. And that's one of the things that, that we get all the time. The sentiment. Well, we know things are bad, but what can we do about it? Well, you you just laid it all out. We can we can run for that local office. It doesn't matter if it's school board or um city or county council. It doesn't matter. In fact, the local is even better. Or that congressional seat, as you mentioned. And you but never let's know. It, just do correct. it. Yeah, exactly, and 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 not because if uh, the way I look at it is if Donald Trump can do this. Now, granted, he you know he's a lot of money, self funded, but if he can do this, given his non political background, we can
2: all do this. Yeah, and um, remember, I mean, just being the the successful real estate mogul and businessman, yeah. he's never held a public office in his life. Right. Exactly. The only public office he ran for was this office of the presidency, and you know something we talk about here is. As much as it was Donald Trump we elected, it was the ideology, is what really got him elected, and what, and what his base supports.
1: And, and look, we understand, folks, the larger picture too. And Michael, I know you did you did too as, as well. The, the the power behind the, the the faces in D.C. And, and elsewhere. But nonetheless, we still have to try. If we don't try, what's our alternative? We would just roll over, crawl up in a fetal position and just not do anything? I don't think I don't think so. That's on your your character and certainly not in ours. Uh one thing you wrote, uh Michael, and again, Michael Snyder is our guest, the economic collapse dot com is his website. In the uh, under the title A List of a Hundred Things That Liberal Liberals Hate About America, you wrote something here and I I think it's so prescient. You wrote where um you referenced the uh Kathy Griffin uh Griffin. picture the hate-filled ideology that she represents that foot that photo of her holding the uh the uh, this uh well the head of donald trump and you said you you wrote that you believe that that will turn out to be a defining moment in american politics you want to expand on that because i think that's that's 100 percent accurate
3: yeah, I, I I I think that was so key because that image is now going to be burned into people's minds, and Kathy Griffin has kind of become almost the face of the of the left and of you know where do they want to take us. And we've seen street protests become more violent in recent years. And just today I saw a uh a, an article on The Blaze talking about how one group of 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 uh, socialist uh, students in Georgia talking about guillotine uh, members, uh, Republican members of Congress. And you know they've started to use this violent language and violent imagery. And ultimately that's what Kathy Griffin What Kathy Griffin and people like her want is... They, they they don't They don't want to just defeat our ideas because they don't even believe in the First Amendment. You know what sometimes we assume that they think like we do where we believe in the Constitution. we believe that everybody should have free speech, everybody should be able to you know, have their say well, what they ultimately want to do is they want to uh completely uh eliminate and destroy our worldview. They want to ultimately destroy our entire way of life. And I want to talk about this some more in a second. But ultimately, in terms of freedom of speech, they want to criminalize anyone that disagrees with them. And what, you know, we, we've seen kind of this with the whole gay marriage uh, thing where, you know, at first they were saying, oh, you know, we just want, you know, to be able to do what everybody else is doing. And, and you know, not just a few years ago, gay marriage was illegal in most U.S. states. Now, but now today, if you have a bakery and you don't make cakes for gay weddings, well, they could sue you and put you out of business, and you lose your livelihood because you disagree and you don't want to participate in that. So, you know, your freedom just to do whatever you're doing to have a bakery, you know, they're saying you've got to make cakes for gay weddings, or you can't have a bakery, you know, and that and now at this point that that includes every every everything that could be related to weddings whether it's a farm whether it's a church whether it's you know doing you know anything for the wedding industry it's getting to the point where bible believing christians that don't agree with gay marriage they're not going to be able to make a living doing that anymore, participate in that anymore because they're going to get sued and put out of business and financially ruined by the left that promotes their agenda through the courts and and then uses the law as a weapon to shut people up that don't agree with them, to go after people. And ultimately, if the radical left has their way You know, we're not just going to be losing elections. We're going to be in jail, and the more radical uh, among them would actually like to see us all killed off. But, you know, a lot of them aren't that quite that violent or that evil, but some of them are. But ultimately, they hate our way of life. Now, my wife and I, we moved up here to North Idaho, and I know you guys have a lot of listeners up here in North Idaho, very, very popular up where I live. But we moved up here to North Idaho. One of the big reasons we did is we wanted to find one of these enclaves in the country where people are still kind of living free, you know, where there's still some freedom and liberty, you know, where the government's not constantly, you know, you know, poking their n- nose in your business. Now, of course, you know, that's not really true anywhere these days, and we've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, if we don't stand up and fight, ultimately there's going to be nowhere left where it's true, because the government just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it seems like no matter who's in power, whether Republican or Democrat, government just keeps expanding. And every time government gets bigger, Freedom and liberty diminish. People need to understand that, you know, because these days so many people are looking to, to, for government to solve every problem. But every time government grows, every time there's a new uh, government agency or a new law, rule, or regulation, that restricts our liberty and freedom. Now, there's some laws which we, we we want that to happen. For example, we don't want the freedom to go around just murdering one another randomly. So it's, we, it's good to have a law to say, don't murder. Um, So we want that, but our founding fathers intended to create a society, a country, where freedom and liberty are maximized. So the restrictions on our freedom and liberty are minimal, but instead we've gone to just the opposite. And today, in our country today... And on the federal level, we've got hundreds of thousands of laws on the federal level alone. And when you throw in state and local, all 50 states and all the local laws, rules and regulations, you, the grand total goes up into the millions, millions of laws, rules and regulations, which are restricting our liberty and freedom. So some of them are, you know, more ridiculous than you, you know, you could possibly imagine. But what has that done? We've got a control freak society where liberty and freedom, it's where, we're shackled, we're in chains, and what we need to do, we could need to completely redefine and reimagine are uh, the, the the relationship between the people and the government, and we need to go back to a model that our founders originally intended of very limited government. It, you know, Some people have said a government so small that they can barely see it. I think you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that, but we need to completely sh- shift the pendulum and go back to the, the way that America well, was back at the beginning.
1: Smaller government. More power in the hands of the people, less regulations, less restrictions, and and I think looking at the bigger picture, I think that this is what uh, President Donald Trump wants to get back to
2: considering his business philosophy. And, and Michael, you hit on on some important stuff, um, especially with the, the the political climate on the left today, the descent into violence and this political correctness, social justice warrior movement. Um, There's a story, I know many people have been following what's been happening at Evergreen State College in Washington State where it's a very liberal university and there was um, these social justice warriors who were calling for a a day of absence for white people not to come to school for, for a day. And these, the, the social justice warriors and whatever, whoever's behind this movement wanted, um, basically what they want to do is bring back segre- segregation, is what it sounds like. But there's been a, you know, a development there. They, they have been, um, protesting to the point where they're holding, almost kidnapping the, the faculty and staff, um, to the point where the staff is asking permission to go to the bathrooms until they are heard out, you know, listening to their demands and agreeing to their demands. Well, what happened? Just yesterday, it says that the Evergreen State College descended into more chaos when minority students demanded that whites leave the campus for a day of absence, plunged into even uh, further depths with gangs of bat and baton wielding students now roaming the campus. And what they have is, uh, they have stu- uh, what they call race patrol. Uh, they are going around with bats, stopping cars,
3: and hearing information on the occupants. No, and this was. is
2: an extreme example. But, you know, we see this in the universities, uh, with this political correctness movement, this victim mentality, where, for some reason, these people are under the impression that if you're, if something offends you, you have the right to basically, uh, censor it and shut it down, and, and nobody is, should be offended. But, Joe, Joe, and I just want to it kind of really crystallize
1: this. Michael, I think, and, and Joe and I, you and I spoke about this earlier, I think this is a microcosm of what we're seeing taking place in America or develop in, in, in America as a whole. This represents uh, what we see here is a microcosm of what the progressive left wants to do to this country as a whole.
2: Right, and, and uh, if we can, Michael, I want you to comment on this trend of of how far this, this social justice movement has come, and what what can we do to combat it, other than ignore it? Uh, obviously, logic, facts, the truth, reality have no bearing. Uh, with this mentality. Uh, what are some of the dangers that you see from this, this movement and mentality, and what are the, some of the things you think we can do to combat it?
3: Well, to a certain extent, I think when they do things like this and they show the the, the real face of who they are – it, it turns off middle America. It turns off the, the middle of the country. Those maybe people who call themselves moderates or whatever. But people see that and they say, that's just insane. That's crazy. Just like the Kathy Griffin thing where they see and they say, no, we don't want that. And so, and then they can hear the positive message that we have. And that, like I said earlier, we're winning people with one heart, one heart at a time, one mind at a time with a real message, a message that's based on American values, constitutional values. Values. so ultimately, that's what we're doing, and then taking back the power structures of, of government, And I'm not just talking about politically, but throughout our society, which I mentioned earlier, that's ultimately what we want to do, um, but, uh, but ultimately, also, we can't be, we can't pacify these people, you know, because if we, if we give them ground, sometimes we say, okay, give them a little bit, and they'll be satisfied, they're never satisfied, so we've got to be willing to fight, we need fighters, um, because uh, And we need people who are going to stand up and say no. And, and that's why I get so frustrated with re- Republicans so much of the time is because they're s- they're so spineless so much of the time. We need uh, leaders that are going to be willing to stand up, stand on principle, and say no to these people. And then also we need to expose the tactics of the left because what they've been doing for literally decades now is pitting one group of people against the other. You know, the truth is we're all American we need to learn to love one another no matter what we look like, where we're from. You know, um, there's there's no place for racism in our society, but we need to come together. But instead, that what the radical left does is they say, okay, this group of people, this other group of people is against you, and they want to put you down. And, you know, they play one group against the other, or men against women, rich versus poor. And it's a divide-and-conquer strategy. And, they, and the radical left says, okay, this, you know, we're going to, they're going to pit a certain group against another and then they say oh but we're going to give you lots of handouts or we're going to give you this we're going to give you that and uh, you know it's it's We need to stop thinking in terms of one team against another. We're all Americans. We're all in this together. We're one people, and uh, you know we should share common values based on 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 the Constitution, based on on the thing. Because see, that's what early Americans had going for them. You know, everyone pretty much had the same set of values. It was based. Our country was founded on Christian values, Christian principles, and that gave birth to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And and you know, in fact, if you go back and you look before the Constitution you just look at the, the early colonies, sometimes they took huge blocks of scripture and just put it into their statutes, you know um, and, and, you know, of course we couldn't have that today because they've got this whole separation of church and state thing, you know and then the bigger that the, the, the government gets, that crowds the church out of everything, but and, and then we end up with situations like today where Bernie Sanders was just going after someone just because he believes in Jesus Christ and believes that Jesus is the only way to God, which is What the Bible says, but you know, so we, we, you know, in essence, we are in a civil war. Now it's not a shooting war, and hopefully it never will be. But the left is increasingly becoming violent. But ultimately, we don't want to be violent. We will if if it's just in the marketplace of ideas, our ideas versus theirs, we will completely win and, and and defeat them because our ideas are far far better than anything they have.
1: Amen, my brother. You're exactly right. You know, we only, I just can't believe how quickly time flies. We've got about 10 minutes left or about, no, I'm sorry, about eight minutes left uh, with you. And we want to just give you the chance to go wherever your heart, whatever is on your heart that we have not yet covered. um, The floor is yours because the people... Listening right now, have tuned in to listen to Michael Snyder, not Doug and Joe. So, you, you just whatever's on your heart, take it because uh, you are a valued guest, by the way. And, and folks, the economic collapse blog.com is his website there. Many fine articles. By the way, before I turn it over to you, they are killing small business. The number of self employed Americans is lower than it was in 1990. Um, one of your fine, finest articles we are a small business we are self-employed and we can relate to that i just want to say good job on that when you wrote that but but sir take it wherever you want to take it
3: yeah i know you guys can identify uh, because just like you you know my wife and i were self-employed and and they make it so hard to do that, to be independent of the system today, because what do they do? They hit us with the self-employment tax, which we've got to pay both halves of the, of the payroll tax, you know, which absolutely kills us. You know, or then we've got to get our own health insurance because of things, the way things are structured. You know, that, uh, people out there, if you, if you've ever been Try to go get your own health insurance outside of your employer, outside of some big group. You know how expensive it can be, how hard it can be. You know, it just it it's an added expense on entrepreneurs and and small business owners. And and then the rules and the regulations and and I mean, it's just so hard to run a small business in America today. And so yeah, I wrote this article, and the number of Americans that are self-employed today it's eight point four million. It's Smaller than the 8.7 million Americans that were self-employed back in 1990. Now, back in uh, 1990, of course, our population was much smaller. The population of the country was just 249 million. Today, it's 321 million. So, in terms of the the percentage of people that are self-employed, is way way down. You know, it's it's uh, hovering near all-time lows. Uh, and same thing with you know number of small businesses, number of new businesses being created, and traditionally small businesses have been the primary engine of job growth in this country. So we've got a major problem. This is just another area where we've gotten away from the free market, free market capitalism, which this country was founded upon. Um, And uh, we need to rediscover that if we want to start moving back in the right direction. But ultimately, you know, um, you know, for, for a number of years, people said, well, Michael, you're running the Economic Collapse blog. You're always telling us what's wrong. Why don't you focus more on solutions? And so now, I, you know, if I'm going to be running for Congress... Uh, then I will be in a position where, hey, we need, we, we've got to focus on solutions because, as you mentioned earlier in the show, what are we going to do? Just sit back and say, oh, you know, hey, we're just going to wait, you know, for everything to fall apart, or, or can we try to do something to try to turn this country around? Well, you know, people say, well, can you do it, Michael? Is there any possible way? Well, In the Revolutionary War, who would have ever imagined that a small ragtag group of rebels could take on the mighty British Empire, the greatest empire on the entire planet, and win, and win their independence? You know, the the probability of failure was very high, but they had courage, they had faith, and they did it. Similarly in our time, you know, um, the United States were on a very, very bad path. If we continue on the path we're on, there's no future for our country. And so we can just sit back and wait for that to happen. Or with every generation in American history, whether it's World War II, you know, know, different periods, people have had to stand up and fight for the future of this country. Well, there's no war to fight right now, but there's certainly a battle, a battle for the future of this nation. And if we don't stand up and fight in our generation, there isn't going to be any future for our children, for our grandchildren. So I'm choosing to fight. I'm choosing to put myself out there. I hope that... You know, uh, many, many others that are listening will also step forward. And let's try. Let's try to take America back. There's no guarantees that we will win, that we'll be successful. But, you know, when the chapter is written of of this chapter in American history, you know, I want people to be able to look back and say, yeah, they stood up, they were strong, and they they fought. They fought for the future of America.
1: Amen to that. You know, I've been thinking about my own mortality. In those around me, and really at the end of our lives, can we honestly say, you know, we did everything in our power? And, and I always ask the question: You know, will my um, will my survivors? Will, will my children, grandchildren? Will will they visit my my grave uh, with with a certain amount of reverence, or will they spit upon my grave? And uh, and, and of course, you know. At the end of the day, at the end of everything, of course, are we on God's side? And, uh, that's something, and I know you as a Christian, uh, very strong Christian, Christian beliefs, you believe that as well. So I think that all of these elements together combined, uh, make you the, by the way, the person for that congressional seat in Idaho. We are backing you 100%, uh, should you formally announce. And I do hope that that you, that you will, and uh, we will back you as well in all of your writings and certainly all of your your messages that that you're spreading because all of them are, are, right on the money, sir.
3: Well, thank you, and I hope that your listeners will support. Hagman and Hagman and your show, your the sponsors that make it possible because I mean you guys, you get, Hagman and Hagman just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You're just, like I said, you're extremely popular up here in northern Idaho, and you, what you're doing is so important because we're fighting the information war, a war for hearts and minds, which ultimately is a battle for the future of this country. So I just encourage everyone, please support this show because what Hagman and Hagman is doing and the guests that they're bringing on, it's so incredible incredibly
1: important yeah thanks for that and i gotta tell you you've got a, a very loyal strong following and i know that you're the readers uh and your listeners as well uh when you go on other shows and such i know that they love you they believe in you and we are blessed to have listeners very loyal listeners are very loyal readers and supporters we are so blessed by that but but you know what? Uh, and i know you're the same way too we never ever want to let anyone down we're going to keep fighting until there's
2: really there's no fight left in us and folks make sure you you bookmark the economiccollapseblog.com i just on hagman report i just posted um not the latest story but the one that was posted a day ago central banks now own stocks and bonds <laughs> worth trillions and they uh, could crash the markets by selling them it is a, a great article but make sure you you bookmark the, the site blog dot com because Michael is a is a fantastic writer, and he writes about issues that are uh, topical to the day, but also very important from a perspective that many don't they don't look at it the same way, or they don't cover it the same. Joe, way. So I want to know what it. when he
1: sleeps, I really mm-hmm. do. Michael, I, I, do you ever sleep really?
3: I do get exhausted sometimes guys as you guys probably do too because my wife and I we both work so hard and and we're blessed to be able to do this full time and and I work very hard on this and now with the thought of going and campaigning and traveling all over the state and doing everything you need to do to have a successful campaign I mean it's kind of intimidating to me just the amount of work and sacrifice and and just the exhaustion I know that I'm going to experience but but I feel called that now is the time to try to do this, try to make a difference, and so I'm gonna, you know, like I said, strong.
2: Michael, we
1: Michael Snyder, thank you. We've reached the end of our our broadcast here. Thank you so very much, Michael.
2: God bless thank you, my you. friend. Thank, well,
1: you. thank you. Have a great
2: night, folks. We'll be right back with Mickey Paletta after these short messages. Don't go anywhere.
4: Greenovative.
1: Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to But What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP-proof. And it's environmentally friendly, yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greennovative.com. That's greennovative.com
4: You should have a minute, man, the survival stove in an m o k for investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed sustainable timber production forests has never been greater when stock markets crash. Trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit Precious Timber profits.com This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by Prospectus only. 855-888-6288 PreciousTimberProfits.com Precious Timber.
1: This is the Hagman and Hagman Report. Global Star Radio Network. That's the place to be. That's our primary platform, our primary venue. Also broadcast, simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, BTR, and on YouTube Live. Folks, 7 to 10 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. That's when we broadcast. We, right now, I think we're, I think the last count, 114 or 116 different countries. Pastor Langford was heard, I think, yesterday, uh, live. In 112 countries. So, you know, we're getting the word out. And I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to each one of you for your support, your prayers, your word of mouth, spreading the message. We are winning heart and souls, one heart, one soul at a time. We are, I, I really believe we're making a difference. And the only way we can make that difference is through your support. Now, I'm not talking just financial support, although that's necessary. Uh We have big plans, and we're we instituting these plans. And I think you can see, folks, how our our show is progressing. When I say progressing, of course, we're John Robertson. The producer is going to be an in-house producer, uh which he works 24-7 now. We're going to try to squeeze a little bit more time and, and uh, energy out of him instead of the 24 already working.
2: And, Dad, I was looking at the map here yeah. that you just referenced about the countries. Yeah. And it does change daily. It does. And I can almost Which, count the numbers that ahead, the, 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 con- the countries that have not are, it looks like uh, the Central Ukraine Africa. And, and Central Africa, every yeah. other country is represented, and that's yeah. uh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, the uh, when you say countries, the, the areas, for example, uh, Central Africa, I think there's... Uh, Oh, I don't know, a dozen, dozen and a half countries, uh, maybe not. Or, I'm sorry, the, uh, um, uh, Eurasia area up there, Asia and Europe. But nonetheless, we're getting the word out, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're we're actually getting mail from, uh, um, Western Europe, of course, which we haven't getting, but, uh, uh, much more, and, uh, people saying, you know what? I found a church, or you've caused us to, uh, to look for and uh, find churches. Or you've awakened us to, to, to the, what's really behind, going on behind the scenes. That makes us feel good. And as a matter of fact, I just want to say one more time, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the other day, uh, when I brought my wife home from the hospital, I, I met a listener. Rose, Rosie, if you're listening, you really made my day. What a, what a, just a delightful lady. Uh, thank you so much for introducing yourself to me. Uh, I really appreciate that. If you're listening, just know how much that, uh, introduction meant to me.
2: And the interesting thing about that is, uh, within seven days, you and me separately both ran into listeners of the show in our, in, in the city we live. I ran into somebody at Country Fair, uh, a gentleman who introduced me the store up here, yeah. by the way. Uh, me and my wife were there and, and that's just, uh, you know, we get that a lot when we travel. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is not to say, oh, how great we are. No, no.
1: This is to say that, that we can make a difference. We, each one of us, if you're listening to this, you can make a difference, uh, because we never thought we could, or at least not in, in this way. So the calling by God, I, I believe, um, and, in doing, doing his work and being obedient to him. I think, I think that's what this is all about. And, just as long as we keep true to our foundation and and that's what that's what we really need to do, and by doing so, we will keep true to each each and every one of you listening and supporting us and praying for us and talking about us and whatever so uh we're in this together, we are all in this together, no matter how you look at it so that's what i so I want to say that um and by the way, treat your dad to a steak this father's day. I got a package today. In between, in between the post-operative stuff, my wife and I, we were actually, we had the buddy system going on today. Well, between doctor's appointments and post-operative, uh, uh, care and diagnostic stuff. Anyway, package came today from Omaha Steaks. Oh my goodness. What a great, I was excited. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, I, I love steak and I opened the package, of course, for Father's Day. I got my Father's Day gift. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how this Father's Day, for only forty nine ninety nine, you can get our limited time Father's Day package when you go to omahasteaks.com dot com and enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. It's simple, but the. Uh, omaha steaks they've got everything they've got seafood they've got bison they've got poultry they got i mean you name it they've got it it's fantastic they they have the highest quality cuts it's got the one-of-a-kind flavor that only omaha steaks can bring the ordering process receiving it it's convenient it's fun all beef is usda usda inspected it's aged for 21 days so right now folks right now omaha steaks is giving a limited time offer to our listeners for father's day which is this sunday this is really an amazing deal you're gonna get 80 percent off that's 80 percent off omaha steaks father's day package which includes and i'm going to list these items because you're not going to believe this two tender filet mignons two bold beefy top sirloins four crispy chicken fried steaks four juicy boneless pork chops Four all-beef Omaha steak burgers—they just melt in your mouth. They're so good. Four award-winning gourmet jumbo franks, twelve ounces of all-beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, made from scratch, and they taste—they're—they're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're, they're just delicious. One Omaha Steaks seasoning packet. That really makes a difference. Plus, you're going to get four additional burgers free. That's right, free. Again, this is a limited time package. It's for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com, but you got to put HH in the search bar. Type HH in the search bar and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer will end soon. Father's Day, it's coming here in a couple of days go to omahasticks.com type hh in the
2: search bar grab your dad and fire up that grill we have a, a very interesting guest coming on now who sent us a book a while back universal bankruptcy and economic bondage the science and threat of the federal reserve by mickey uh, paoletta i believe that's how you say it and he's joining us now and, and this book's very interesting um The very first page is a copy of an affidavit. And I don't want to to jump in too much here, but uh, he opens up in in the next page talking about not wanting to, to seek to cause harm nor pose a threat to our judicial system. I do honestly feel that our judicial system is being manipulated by certain small group of dominant men who have unconstitutionally gained control over our system of finance. The affidavit hereby declares on the record that affidavit does not support a, a blanket statement that all judges, lawyers, sheriffs, politicians, and bankers are corrupt, but for the sake of simplicity, they all participate in our legal system, which has been diverted from actually upholding the law, and our constitution.
1: And you, that's that's from his hard copy book, Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage. Just very quickly, our our guest Mickey Paletta, has worked. Well, uh, with the Citizens Reform Center. He now works for, as an advocate for mortgages and people being ripped off by mortgage-backed securities and derivative mortgage bundling and repackaging. He testified before Congress. He worked with Ohio Congressman uh, Ch- Jim Traficant. He teaches banking to American citizens. He claims that the entire Vietnam War was to enrich the banking system. The more I learn about that, the more I believe. He claims that on average, uh, on the average foreclosure case, the presiding judge earns via pension fund about fifteen grand per case. Which what you're, what you're about to hear, folks, is going to enrage you, but also inform you. It's, it's it's really incredible. With that, let's... let's uh, Mickey, thanks for... Uh, let's bring on. Thanks for sending
2: us this book. Uh, I'm sorry it took so long for us to, to get back to you, but I'm, we're glad that you're here now. Again, the book, Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage. Uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. And I've been doing this now for 30 years. I have been uh, fighting the banking... A system that I think that's the problem, and I fear of the banking system more than I feel ISIS and all those other terrorist groups in the Middle East. Uh, I believe that the, the banking system, uh, the way it is, has done more damage to our liberties than all the standing the standing armies that could have ever done, and that includes Hitler, Mao Zedong, Stalin. Uh, as you can tell, I do not like the banking. I have studied them uh, extensively. I have taught that people th- that have called me on the phone in, in tears. I can't go into court because I'm a scared of the judge. I'm a scared of the lawyers. I'm not that smart. And people listen to me. This is our country. And if you're too afraid to get up and stand up for your rights and to protect your home that it might be a little bit uh, rude to say this but maybe you shouldn't own your house. Maybe you should give your house up and pack up your plates and your dishes and get out of there. I'm not about to do that and when you learn what's really going on that believe me it's going to irate you to the Fact that you can't wait to go into court and uh, confront these uh, criminals. That judge, and what we have to understand is that everybody in the, the foreclosure field. Well, the first thing I hear: Oh, I got a. Uh, I hired a lawyer, <laughs> and he to- told me that he's going to win win my home. But people, listen to me close, okay? I've been doing this for thirty years. And I know people that have called lawyers. Uh, the one, a couple that I know called the 63 to 65 lawyers. And do you know that not one lawyer would take their case? And I know a lady in San Francisco, I was just, just there, and I gave a speech there, and this the lady paid two law firms $65,000 and that she lost her home. Uh, there was another gentleman uh, with his wife had four kids. They paid a law group uh, seventy, I don't know, seventy-five, seventy-six thousand dollars, and they lost. But what I say is that you could lose your house free. So why pay seventy thousand dollars to a lawyer uh, that his main purpose is that he's representing the American bar. And that's not our friends. Uh, the American Bar is registered on uh, the United Nations agenda. Uh, they're a member of uh, the United Nations. So what I say is that you study and you study the law. You study the rules of evidence. You study uh, the uniform commercial code. And after you do that, that you're going to start to realize the study of law is not not that uh, difficult. I've been uh, teaching that uh, in my house. I live in Harrisburg, uh, and I have a room downstairs that could hold 100 uh, people, and there are days that we role play in court. I, I bring in six mm-hmm. or seven uh, jurists, and uh, the defendant, uh, the bankers there, and we role play and role play day after day after day, and if and guess what? That if you understand what you're doing, uh, we have never lost a case, and I've been doing this for all the, these years, and I can honestly say that I have never lost a home, but uh, because of a foreclosure suit. Okay. And uh, what uh, I contribute that that to is that you have to educate. And if you educate and understand what you're doing, that's that's sixty percent of the battle.
1: Wow. Well, what I hear you saying, and I get I get a lot of, we, we collectively get a lot of emails here at the studio saying uh, mortgages, uh, the uh, there's fraudulent stuff going on with mortgages, you really don't own your home, and on and on and on. And you actually note that court, courts, for example, are actually miniature banks and such. You make a lot of good points. And my words to Joe after... After reviewing your book, Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage, and reading some of your researches, the fact is, is was simply this: if people really knew the truth, what you are teaching and speaking, there would be a revolution, or should be a revolution, because this is incredible stuff you're you're talking about here.
0: Um, well, let me explain it. Who said that? Go ahead. Henry Ford. said that right around 1901, 1902. And I have studied Andrew Jackson for you know several years, and what Jackson even said: if the American people would only know the true nature of banking, there would be a revolution before morning. That what I'm saying, and what I've said in my my book: if the American people only knew the true nature, that there should be a revolution right now. Uh, people, This is our country. This is our Constitution. Uh, it's the greatest form of government ever devised by man. And for us to st- stand by and allow the American bar and these crooked lawyers to lie, cheat, and steal and steal our neighbors' homes and we sit, sit by, that's wrong. Uh, what we got to do is we've got to get out of that that's big thinking and we have to understand it's not about I and me; it is about us and we, so the best way that we can protect our home is by by protecting our neighbor's home. you have to join groups, you have to educate yourself, you have to do do at meetings in people's homes. I will go anywhere to talk um. Where I was last week, my best friend and um, and a cousin was killed in Vietnam, and last weekend it was exactly 50 years. So all the friends gathered up there at Paul's grave, and gonna, I haven't seen these, these guys in 40 and 50 years, and it was very, very uh, moving uh, to see all these guys. Fifty years after Paul uh, was uh, murdered, uh, to get there together and see these guys uh, I get very very emotional 50 years later and it was very very enlightening to me and it gave me hope that the american people that is up up to us to save this this a country of ours because your congressmen and your senators they're not going to do it that sixty seventy percent of them are lawyers. They're members of the American bar. And we gotta get rid of the American bar. We gotta get rid of them. We have to learn yes. to do this ourselves if we're gonna win. And what well. I'm you know about to say uh, about that forge and fraud uh that that we have a system now that I was going going to email you guys, uh that we now have uh, the a system that we could take their promissory note and their mortgage note in the judicial states and uh, the deed of trust states uh, and insert this uh, into our uh, machinery, and within five minutes we can tell uh, whether or not that those documents were cut and that were they just pasted from some digital name bank. And we've been doing this uh, for several years, and the person that's heading up the the division uh, has been doing this for 40 years, and he signs his affidavit that he is... Now, get these people, he's never found an honest loan yet. All those documents that they go into court, and they stand there, and they say, Your Honor... We have the original notes in hand. First of all, they do not have the original notes because when you go in and sign that original promissory note, the bank has no money to lend. The bank don't lend any money. What they do is monetize your promissory note and they deposit that that into the assets account of the banks, the increase in their assets And then they increase their liabilities, their DDA account, by the amount of the note. And when it comes time to close, the bank sits there and hands the seller of the home a check on their account. But people, that the money actually came out of your account. That's your money that you gave the bank the promissory note. The bank monetizes that. And just look this up. And what that means is when a bank takes something that is not money, a promissory note, and only contains your signature, and they deposit that into the bank's assets account in the same way that they're going to take your cash for $1,000 and put it into the bank's account. There's no difference. That's your money. So then what happens, the bank withdraws that. Uh, they put it on their their check head, and right in front of you, they pay the seller for the house and the land about $252,000, let's just say. But What we don't see is where did the bank get the money. In all the cases that we have filed, we've been going after the ledger accounts of the bank for probably 30 years. Do you know that the judges that protect that, that because if we would ever see the ledger accounts, that I have expert witnesses on my staff, but one of the guys has a master's degree of the University of, of Virginia. Uh, he's been in, that worked for banks, a uh, major East Coast bank for uh, 30 years, and he testifies that if the promissory note that funded the ledger accounts was ever produced now i have a cpa that worked for pnc bank is willing to examine the ledger accounts and he can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that note was illegally converted through monetization and you actually own your house because the bank used the value of your promissory note to pay the seller. That house is really yours.
1: Okay mickey i i just I, I want to kind of draw this uh kind of back a little bit here because some people uh um, might not really fully understand what the issues are and that's partly our fault here what we're talking about here is the fact that uh um through your research your investigation and in your work product which is manifested by your book universal bankruptcy and economic bondage it's it's you are exposing the uh, the 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 machinations of the, the court system of of the uh, court system of the banking system and the mortgage system right of a, banking yeah of, of all of this so those people just tuning in or not familiar with this topic uh, everything essentially with respect to the uh, economy courts and mortgages it, it's it's all built on fraudulent activity I just kind of want to really drive that home so when you're talking about mortgages for example. Are you, are you talking about everyone's mortgage that that we're all getting uh, hosed is that what you're saying or
0: um how, i am uh, let me make this perfectly clear that my expert witness uh, that does the forensic examinations uh, is licensed by uh, the federal government uh, he's been doing this for forty three years he has never found one honest loan yet, where that he has examined of the signatures, and where he can honestly go to court and say that that the signature is the true the signature of the mortgage or, or that's on that note. Got now it. let me simplify that. Uh, please let me try it.
4: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, if you go into a bank and you go in to the bank with cash, $150, and you walk up to the bank or the girl behind the booth there and say, please deposit this $150 into my checking account. What that girl is going to do is she's going to take that $150 in cash, and she's going to debit the bank's assets account which is going to increase the bank's assets, that's going to be a debit, by $150. Now, uh, they have to comply with GAAP, assets equals liabilities plus net worth. That's the the Federal Reserve's rule. And I normally uh, do not mention Federal Reserve uh, very much, but their books have to match So what the bank is going to do is they're going to take that $150 and they have to increase their liability account, their their demand deposit account, because they owe, owe the depositor for his $150 deposit. And who is the depositor? The person that walked in and said, please deposit this into my checking account. That's your money, people. That you can spend that money anyway and at any time you want. That's your money. That's a demand deposit account. Uh, any time that you hear a DDA, that and these calls are in my my book, what that, that represents is the depositor that gave the bank his cash, whether it's one hundred and fifty dollars, that maybe is his railroad. Uh, draw up to $2,000 a week, whatever that he's paid, that represents the depositor's money. So that you go into a bank and give the bank the $100 and say, put this into your, your checking account, that we all know that that's our money, that we can make out the checks from our account up to $100 at any time that we want. But if we go over our our limit or our $100 amount, then the bank is going to bounce that check and charge us $40 or $39, whatever they do. But Mickey, the main point to this, guys, we have to understand
4: Mickey, that, that right the our break.
0: money.
2: We're going, to, we're going to pick up here on the other side. Um, folks, we're, we're talking with Mickey Paoletta. He's the author of Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage, The Science and Threat of the Federal Reserve. Uh, he's going to be with us, so stay tuned. We're going to jump right back into this on the other side. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report.
6: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army kit. It contains 12 homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code Hagman. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either, but they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage journey Kit at www.ChangeWithTheWoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, to this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, Mickey Pooletta is our guest. He's the author of Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage, and we're going to get back to him in just a second. just want to bring you a quick word from Greenovative. The folks at Greenovative tell us that the response from the Hagman and Hagman audience in the United States and Canada has been great. The new GMAG Complete Pack and the Complete with Barter Pack are still a big hit. We have negotiated with Alan Riggs for a good way to say thank you by offering a great discount. That's right, the H&H team got Mr. Riggs to agree to another 15% store-wide discount now through the 1st of July. You all know that Greenovative products make power anytime, anywhere, in any weather, day or night. They come with accessories to meet nearly any need during an emergency, and they are EMP-proof. Remember, whenever, wherever you are, Wherever you live, you need to be prepared. And there are many indicators throughout the world that tell us that disaster, whether man-made or natural, could happen at any time. You don't want to be without the essentials if we run into these problems. Folks, go to Greenovative.com. That's www.Greenovative.com. And enter the discount code HAGMAN for your 15% store-wide discount. Again, Greenovative.com. Enter the discount code HAGMAN for 15% off. Store-wide discount now through the 1st of July. You will be glad that you did. Back to our guest. We're talking with Mickey Pauletta, his book, Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage. Mickey, right before the break, you were uh, making a point uh, talking about an example of somebody depositing $150 into the bank and how it increases both their assets and their liabilities. Do you want to continue with that thought?
0: Uh, Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so what happens uh, when you sign that uh, that note, that uh, the promissory note? That is a negotiable instrument. Uh, it has value, face value, and so does your currency. If you go in and deposit one hundred and fifty dollars, you have just deposited one hundred and fifty dollars or one hundred and fifty negotiable instruments into that bank, so when you give the bank the promissory note, you have just given the bank a negotiable instrument for the same value that that bond or the note states. And what that note says in paragraph one, that I promise to repay for a loan that I have received. Now, we're going to discuss that a little later. But the main point of this is, is this, that we have to get it clear that a negotiable instrument can be cash, it can be coins, it can be a bond, it could be uh, a note, it could be a security the instrument, uh, it could be whatever the bank gets that carries your signature, an amount, a payable date due, and of the date, uh, what we have to understand, and it seems like it's so hard, but it's really not. Just wrap your mind around this. When you gave the bank $150 in cash, is the same thing as going in and giving that, that bank a promissory note for $150. It carries the same value and the bank is going to record a deposit of cash in the same fashion that they're going to record a promissory note. There's no difference. So if you give a bank $150, the first thing that we have to understand is that the bank is going to put that into the bank's assets account, And that's going to increase the debit account of the bank by $150. Now, let's take it one step more. You go in and you give the bank a promissory note for $150. The bank is going to take that $150 note and they're going to deposit that into the bank's assets account in the same fashion that they just deposited that $150 in cash. What we have to understand, that that cash that you gave the bank has the same value as a $150 promissory note. Okay? Okay? Now, but for their records to match assets equals liabilities plus net worth, they have to increase their liabilities and why a liability? Why a demand? Because that shows the bank who they owe that $150 cash to, and that liability shows that bank uh, who is the person that deposited that $150 promissory note, and the bank owes the depositor $150 in cash or $150 in cash for the value of the promissory note. Joe, uh, do you think I made that uh, uh, very clear? That's
1: clear, but somewhat frightening when you extrapolate that outward. Am I getting that right? Am I understanding? Go yes. ahead.
2: Go ahead.
0: Yes. Yeah, what I'm saying is, you Now I said it at the very, very beginning, and I say this in every speech that I, I do, I'm saying that the American banking system has done more damage to our freedoms and uh, liberties than all of the combined armies of the last century could have done. Okay. When uh, the Constitution of the United States makes it very clear that only Congress shall coin and regulate the value of money, not a private profit seeking tax exempt corporation known as the Federal Reserve. It's unconstitutional for the Federal Reserve to uh, create money that debt, and that is the biggest threat to our form of a government than all the standing armies of the world.
1: Uh, all right, M- M- Mickey. Uh, okay, now hold that thought because we have uh, z- someone emailed a question here, and I think this the question strikes directly at the heart of the understanding that you're trying to convey. Okay. And, and here's, okay, so, so uh, help me and, and the listeners out because the, I, we, we've got a tenuous understanding, but, but here's the question. Uh, this is from Tom. Thank you, Tom. It seems like common sense, but the money I deposit has to come from somewhere, which I, I agree with. So naturally, when I deposit the 100 or 150 into my account, it's my money, but only, uh, but only 100 or 150 dollars, correct? Does a bank create imaginary money for itself to deposit? And then a the follow-up to that, because we did kind of graduate into this topic as well. Uh, Tom also asked, Uh, For example, don't I owe the bank, let's say, $30,000 if I purchase a house for $30,000 plus interest? Is the $30,000 invisible money that's just a transferable note? So I I think that those two questions combined represent the um, intellectual question mark that we we all have in the understanding of what you're trying to convey. And and I think that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, go those
0: ahead. questions are very, very typical, and I get those just about every night. And I understand it because it's so hard for people to understand. It's so hard for honest people that we go to work and we bring up, that bring home our that money, and they can't understand that how the banking system that can monetize our signature and create what is called money of account, money of exchange. Money of exchange is your dollar bills, but you're absolutely right But when you go into a bank and when you sign that promissory note, and just like that, that paragraph in uh, the original promissory note reads in paragraph 1, I promise to repay for a loan of $30,000 that I have received. I am saying uh, to you, sir, that if the bank lent you $30,000 of their money by decreasing their assets and by decreasing their net worth account, then I would be suing you myself for a breach, and I would be trying to foreclose uh, on, on you because the bank actually loaned you $30,000 of their money. But what I am saying to you, when you sign that promise necessary note, you are the one that actually created the 30000 and gave it to the bank, and the bank owes you the thirty grand. so when they paid the seller for your house, they, they went in and deducted from your account that you didn't even know was there and withdrew $30,000 to pay the seller. My answer, if the bank actually loaned you $30,000, and all they got to do is produce their ledger accounts and let me examine them and see if they decrease their net worth account by 30 grand and not their liability account, then I would say, yes, that you must repay that bank back. But all the judges that protect that, I have been suing banks and I work with lawyers all over the United States. And do you know that we have never forced a bank to produce their ledger accounts because it would show one thing? that the bank has committed fraud and they have deposited the value of your negotiable instrument and used the value of your negotiable instrument as the only source of of <laughs> funding. So if the bank lent you their money, then I would be suing you. But if the banks can't prove that they are the ones that use their money and that they did not monetize your promissory note, then I would say that you gotta be, be trained. And if anybody asks me on the witness stand, uh, Mr. Paletta, uh, did you receive a loan for $30,000 from, uh, BOA? Based upon my information, understanding, knowledge, and information, and what I know, without reviewing that ledger accounts, I'm... I can honestly say no. I never received a loan from Chase Bank. So, Uh, Because I know beyond a doubt I never received a loan.
2: So what you're saying is that uh, the banks are not technically loaning out their money to somebody who's buying a house. You're saying that the them signing the promissory note, that somehow they avoid having to having having the liability, and, and that that money is is basically transferred from some kind of secretive account, uh, it is how it comes out. But I, if we flip this around, uh, could I just walk into a bank and hand them a promissory note with my signature on it and say I'd like I'd like twenty five thousand dollars just based on that? I mean, in theory, just based on the promissory note wouldn't that be the same thing whether i used it for a house or or expenses?
0: Uh, if the bank would accept that uh, that note uh, for 25 grand then the answer is yes. You have created $25,000 and you are actually the lender and the bank is the borrower. You're absolutely correct and what we have to understand that people uh this banking fraud is diabolical okay this system is so evil and it's so hard to understand uh, but once you do understand it it's so easy uh i mean i'm amazed that it took me and you know a year and a half to figure it out and I mean, I struggled for 12, 14, 16 hours a day and I got three, three degrees and I never understood uh, how banks make money. But look guys, you can go on online and pull up a primer on money. That is P-R-I-M-E-R. Uh, that book was written in 1964 by the House of Representatives at Washington, D.C., and they explain in there on page 19 uh, the meaning of checkbook money. It will blow your mind. Now, you know, this is Congress now. This is not Nikki Paletta. This is not anybody else but the United States House. And they give an example in there on page 19 uh, that it says that this bank had two two, two people coming in there with $50 a deposit. So the bank had $100 in their, their assets along with their demand deposit account. John Jones comes along, applies for a $50 loan at the bank, and the loan is approved. Did the bank's assets that increased? or did the banks the assets decrease that when they loaned John Jones the 50 dollars this is congress this is not mickey Poletti. you know that's in my book the banks assets that increased by 50 dollars and the banks liabilities that increased by $50, but making the bank's assets, 150 and making the liabilities, the deposit account, 150 But yet, if you and I were to make a loan, Joe, that our accounts would be subtracted, so if we had 100 and if you lent your father 50 that your accounts would only show 50 How does the bank make a loan and a, a put it and put $50 into John Jones' account, thus increasing the bank's assets and the liabilities by $50 because they monetize the debt obligation of the borrower. That's in every banking book. i got got 30 exhibits that we go in, and these books have been taught by Yale, Harvard, uh, you name it, and of the one book, the next time that we're on, I'll send you guys these exhibits. Where these exhibits are are written by the ABBA, the American Bankers themselves, and where they say that when a bank makes a loan, the bank monetizes the debt obligation of the borrower and increase the bank's assets and liabilities by the amount of the alleged loan. And I'm not saying that. Uh, These college books are uh, saying that. And uh, some of these writers that actually worked for the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, they worked for the the advisory board of the president's economic advisors. People, we have to wake up they're stealing our uh, land. They're, you know, stealing our home and they're foreclosing on probably over 8 million American homes have been lost because of this banking fraud. So if you're asking okay. me if the American banking system is flawed, I'm going to tell you without a doubt in my mind, the answer is yes. Yeah, and until like- we understand it and stop it, our total aggregate debt. Now, understand this. Our total aggregate debt is not 19.4 the way or 19.8. Our aggregate debt, the total debt, is well over $200 and the Federal Reserve's own stats that makes it clear there's only $1 trillion in circulation. You don't have to be an Einstein to figure that out. How in the heck can we pay $200 trillion of debt with only one trillion dollar in currency, and most of that currency happens to be in foreign government central banks.
1: Okay, Mickey, that's I, the
0: position that we're in. I,
1: I, okay, I got a really basic question for before you. Okay, um, just to be clear, uh, this that the whether the accepted nineteen point four trillion or the two hundred trillion, regardless of that number, you, you're saying that 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 is dishonest debt it's basically made up debt is that correct
0: well what do you mean by made up debt Uh, is this
1: Joe no this is Doug uh, the old guy the guy that's got got a thicker skull Uh, (laughs) uh, the the, the, the guy that's slow on the uptake well I I guess Okay, let me rephrase the question Who do we owe this debt to?
3: We owe
0: it to the commercial banks and the Federal Reserve. And some people are going to say that we owe the debt to ourselves. People, that's not even true. We owe it to the owners of the commercial banks. And they're ready to foreclose on us. And I think that we're we'll sick and tired of every eight, nine years that there's that there's ups and downs. And aren't we tired of that by now? Uh, they've been <laughs> playing that same game with us now uh, since the Federal Reserve. When the Federal Reserve was passed in 1913, that we were guaranteed that we're going to straighten out and everything's going to be uh, stable. What happened guys, with that, that year we, charter? the ninety nine charter what, came what's
2: that the the federal reserve charter what, wasn't that originally a ninety nine year charter that no no, no. okay
0: no uh, um that but what there, you know what it is now i like to go back and let's go back into seventeen ninety one uh that we had the first central bank of the united states I think, and and Hamilton, you know, proposed that that Madison and Jefferson went to Washington, and they pleaded with them, "Do not give us a central bank." And I got a great big paper written on that now. It's about a hundred and fifty-page brief, and I and I think that it explains it. But I'm going to make it really simple is that 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 central bank, that first central bank that Hamilton got, that was created in 1791, and it was supposed to expire, you know, in 1811, uh, uh, 1811. But what happened in 1812, the uh, the War of 1812? Why do you think that that war was uh, fought? That Because the first central bank that Hamilton created was owned 80% by the Bank of England. Not by America, not by Americans, not by the United States, the government, but it was owned by the Bank of England. So you you must ask yourself, were we really free? And I'm going to take that one step more. Are we ever free? So what happened... And, uh, then, uh, that bank bank it was expired. But, you know, uh, you know Madison did not uh, renew it. So in 1812, Great Britain started a war. And go back in the history books and find out the reason. I still can't find a logical re- reason, but they said that, that they were taking our men off of the ships and forcing them into to other uh, English. What navy to fight France? Don't believe it. Madison uh, that reluctantly agreed for the the second the central bank in eighteen thirty six, and that was supposed to expire. No, no, I'm sorry. eighteen the uh, eighteen sixteen, and it was supposed to expire in eighteen. 18- 36. But keep this in mind, 20 years for both banks. That was their charter, 20 years. But Jackson, he comes along and he says, I'm opposed to central banking, and I'm not going to renew uh, the charter of of the second bank of the United States. And for all you guys, do you know where the second bank of the United States was? Uh, it is located right next door, and it, it touches the ground of Independence Hall in Philadelphia
4: hmm, okay
0: okay so. now that the bank there now that was gone uh jackson uh, now didn't I uh, renew that and then what happened uh, the Civil War came, and the Civil War everybody thought was about the slavery. No, no, but Lincoln made it very, very clear that Lincoln said said this, that if I could free all the slaves and avoid the the Civil War, uh, that's what I would do. That if I could free the slaves in 50% of the slave states and have the other ones free uh, to avoid the Civil War, that's what I would do. That Lincoln made it very, very clear. That it wasn't about uh, slavery, but although Lincoln, that wasn't against it. But what we got to understand that to understand of the banking laws, you have to study the exception law. Uh, and there's three major laws that they got through with Lincoln, and had Lincoln lived, they would have never passed the exception clause. And we're okay, not man. going to get into that at this time. But what happened now? The Federal Reserve. That came into existence, and it passed in 1913, and that was supposed to expire in 1933. What happened, everybody, in in 1929? Well, hold that thought. We're we're up
2: against the break. We're we're up against the break. So uh, you're saying the Federal Reserve had initially a a 20-year charter from 1913 to 1933, but we ran into the Great Depression before that. We're going to pick right there up. We're going to pick up right there. Uh, on the other side, folks, you're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagen Report. Our guest is Mickey Paletta, Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage. We'll be right back.
4: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not cost an offer to sell securities are a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855 888 6288 or visit profitsincoconuts.com. Profitsincoconuts.com
1: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Our guest, Mickey Paletta, talking about the banking system. And wow, just wow, we are deep into the weeds. We're going to pull it back and uh, level out our understanding of things uh, a little bit so we really get a grasp on what's taking place, how we, the American people, the Western, the, the, here, us here in the West are being, well, everyone worldwide is being uh, ripped off by the banks and how this overlaps into foreclosures and 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 the court systems and everything. This is all tied together. Um, Mickey's book uh really lays it all out exceptionally well. Before we get back to him, folks Ready Made Resources, ReadyMadeResources dot Have you gone there yet? Do so please. Look, folks, you know, with with the way things are right now you just don't know when an emergency is going to take place you need to prepare yourself they've got some fantastic night vision equipment my favorite night vision equipment by the way um if you if you intend on protection of your property and especially if you're like the leader of your community of of your group night vision uh, they've got they've got night, night vision weapon sight uh Equipment they've got uh, all things night vision. They, that's their kind of like their their Cadillac line. I look at that and I think, my goodness, what a force multiplier night vision is. Their communications equipment as well. Everything that Ready Made Resources has is exceptional quality. And after all, folks, in an emergency, quality counts. Whether it's water and filters, storage foods. Um, Regardless of what it is, quality counts. Bob Griswold, Ready Made Resources, has that quality. I would urge everyone to peruse his website at ready dot com. That's ready dot com. Check out his products indefinitely. Um, hey, stock up because you know things are going to turn bad. You just don't know when. Get the get whatever you need from Ready Made Resources. Put it in your pantry be ready for that emergency and have that peace of mind knowing that you've got the best that you can buy readymaderesources.com
2: Joining us as author of Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage Mickey Paletta before the break we were talking about the Federal Reserve Charter and uh, the Charter being from 1913 supposed to uh, run its course in 1933 but we ran into the Great Depression Uh, go ahead Mickey and pick up right where we left off
0: yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. What happened now? That Roosevelt was elected, and and uh, Roosevelt, he promised us of the world. But there's one thing wrong with that. The federal, the government, that when they signed the Federal Reserve Act, they gave up their constitutional rights to create interest-free money. So uh, the federal, the government now is beholding. Uh, to this uh, a bunch of banking bandits and so Roosevelt you know was in the middle of a depression and people were starving killing themselves the bankruptcies and I know this that my mother-in-law lived through that and she's still affected uh, to this this day she will not throw a stale piece of bread out that she will wait until everybody leaves and she will eat that stale bread because that's what she was raised on. Stale bread and tea. Uh, five years old going to bed like, like that. That's what the bankers did to us. And they always do it. But but here what happened is that the bankers that went to Roosevelt and they said to him, well, Mr. President, that we could well, I'll bail you out, that we could but loan you money that we can loan you $2 billion. But the only thing that we're, that we're asking is that you give us the Banking Act of 1933. And what do you think the Banking Act of 1933 gave the Federal Reserve? Guys, this is everywhere. It's all over the net. You've got to know where to go and read. And Roosevelt agreed to it. The banks gave us $2 billion. And then we started to climb out of the depression, but Roosevelt gave the Federal Reserve perpetual life, Joe and Doug, perpetual life. Now, so how does that sound?
2: Indefinite. <laughs> so they yeah, perpetual made the life, indefinite.
0: Indefinite. Now, what you have to do now, you have to to, uh, to study the Banking Act of. Uh, 33, 34, and 35, and it laid out uh, the whole of scenarios of what we're living in now and the same way that Stanton, that right after Lincoln was, was shot, that they gave us three the Banking Act, acts that if Lincoln that was alive, he would have never got him through. So history repeats itself And it's absolutely, I mean, it's just mind-boggling that we elect the same people and we send them to the House, we elect the senators the same way and send them down there, and there's one thing they have that we could say is the common denominator. They're all lawyers, people. They don't care about our rights. They don't care about that Constitution. They only care about, uh, you know, one of you guys that mentioned it, working out deals, and they're only worried about self-preservation. And I don't really want to get into this, but the New World Order, absolute total economic control. And they have been working on and and quite as successful with government by the judiciary. When two lowly federal judges uh, couldn't block that Trump from that band, and I am amazed that Trump would even go along with that, because if I was in the White House, I would tell those two federal uh, judges that where to go, and I would actually stop the band if I have to to uh, nationalize the National Guard. But no federal judge uh, is going to tell me at the President of the United States anything when it's my duty to uh, protect other people. And uh, for Trump uh, to say that, that he wants to, to clean the swamp, First of all, I think that he should be looking at his own swamp. Why in the heck did he appoint all those bankers, that munition, who has foreclosed on over 200,000 homes and is coming out now that Trump was involved in another in foreclosure racket back in 2008, making hundreds and hundreds of millions by throwing people out of their, their, their homes when these guys know that the entire American banking system is fraud, and and what the people have to understand is that that we're going to believe. Oh, if we don't pay the banker back that thirty thousand dollars, then we are hurting that that bank. We're hurting the system. I am going to be hurting the depositor that gave the bank the $30,000. Listen, uh, uh, this is in my exhibits, and we've used this in court, and uh, what I'm working on with uh, John is I would like to uh, present a full course and bring in my expert witnesses on these calls, uh, people that have, you know, been involved in this. And what we have to understand is that when you repay a bank loan, Joe and Doug, the money is not put into the bank's account. That money is not loaned out to anybody else. That money is not used to build a sky scraping bank. The money is extinguished. They have to reverse it. So if they they, debited... Uh, uh, that $30,000 as an asset and now when that loan is repaid now they have to credit that uh, asset and a credit a minus will deduct from that asset that's going to completely wipe out that $30,000 asset on the books and that account is going to register a zero balance Money has been extinguished.
2: So, where they make the money is in the interest and in the amount that it increases their assets to what they're able to uh, continue to create more interest and more loans when that money is in in the assets column, correct? And then you're saying they they can't loan out.
0: Uh, I sent John uh, the booklet uh, today. It was rather late. Now, I have. now the american free press here and and they're doing a write up on me and they've been here all this this week uh trying to you know put out my views but safe uh, the savings association insurance fund and i sent sent john this the booklet and it's going to be on my webpage i will send anybody this this book but let me just give you the the rundown on it. Um, now, do you remember the old Savings and Loans, Doug? Uh, back in the nineteen eighties. Oh yeah. When they were in trouble.
1: Oh yes, I do.
4: Yep.
0: Okay. Uh, what happened now is that they created Safe, uh, the Saving Association Insurance Fund. And they figured it out is that they needed eight point two billion dollars to to protect the savings and loan banks. So they go, but to our government. And let me make this clear. And I don't, you know, say this lightly. Uh, my best friend and my cousin lost his life in the defense of that American flag. But I can honestly say. That's not our government today. It's been taken over. But let me get back on Point Point now. So uh, the government uh, created a bond for $8.2 billion and handed it over to SAFE. $8.2 billion bond of the commercial banks that took that bond that deposited into the bank's assets and created $8.2 billion of money, money of account, and and actually gave SAFE $8.2 billion in their their checking account uh, to pop off SAFE, but, and I got this right in the book, and it was written by the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. Uh, the interest rate that the, the commercial banks charged by the United States corporate fictional the government on eight point two billion dollar loan was seven hundred and eighty million dollars a year in interest, and if you multiply thirty years by seven hundred and eighty million dollars in interest alone. For a little, $8.2 billion loan, the total interest paid for 30 years is $23,400,000,000. Now, that's the power of of debt, and that explains why this government, our roads are, are completely very, very bad. The, the bridges are in collapse because... We we have to pay uh, the banking system twenty three billion four hundred million dollars in interest for a little loan of eight point two billion, but uh, 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 when that bond matures, uh, the government don't have eight point two billion dollars to pay them, and although we already paid them uh, the three or four, four times more. They rolled the debt over again for another 30 years, paying another $780 million. So at the end of the 60 years, that on an $8.2 billion loan, the federal the government, through the people's taxes, I would have paid the banking system 46800000000 for a little $8.2 billion uh, loan.
2: And, That's crazy. You know, guys. And, and, Mickey, before I forget, can you tell people your website and where they can get your book?
0: Well, uh, this is the ironic part of that. That, that is, I just hired uh, somebody new, and uh, they're redoing all, all that. But I'm going to give you my cell phone where I'm going to have a girl work at the phones and you can call me at 717 503 6903 and I'm going to give out my own the personal phone my cell phone and that is 717 979 3061 now let's get back on that now guys that you know that little 8.2 billion and now that the government would have taxed us forty six billion four hundred million just in interest on on lending safe eight point two when the government has the right according to the Constitution, to create its own interest free money and and the answer is the simple: let the government create money and let the banks borrow the money from the, the government. That way the government is always the head and the bankers are always the tail the way Madison and Jefferson wanted it in 1791, but Washington agreed with uh, Hamilton, and that's what started this whole deal on central banking. Uh, Mickey, this whole... Let's just look, I'm sorry, What?
1: Uh, how, how do we get back to... Uh, how do we save ourselves from this? I mean, this... What you just described is obviously the, the greatest hostage-taking uh, of our planet. Uh, I mean, maybe this is not the correct time to ask this question.
0: And oh, if not... Oh, no, it most certainly is. Okay. What do we do about most it? most certainly is. Uh, I heard a Snyder, on that first part of the show... And he made it very, very clear also. There are a people now that's you know, explaining this, you guys. We have to unite. We have to understand. We have to join hands and figure out that we have to start suing and, and we have to go after the fraudulent banks. Because if we don't, they're going to cause a major a catastrophe and I look for another, you know, a housing bubble to burst. And, you know, what i got to say is this, that when you guys are being foreclosed on, everybody thinks it's the banks that are doing it. The banks aren't involved in it at all. It's the debt collectors, the debt purchasers that have bought the debt for 30 cents on the, the buck, and they're the ones, the debt collectors... And they're lawyers, people, and they're making hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars by stealing our homes. And the common denominator, again, is they're all lawyers. Why won't they let me go in the court? Why won't they let me argue a case? But you know why? Because they know that if we had a jury trial that we would win. I got the people now... Uh, that are on this call uh, listening that are just dying to explain it is that the judges are now saying that we do not have a right to a jury trial on a mortgage foreclosure case. Do you know why? Because if the jury would ever hear this, can you imagine any jury uh, voting against us? So no, and the would, safest way of doing it is to shut it down, deny us all our rights, and and look, that the press is not our friends either.
2: No, absolutely not. And then if they allowed the jury trial, it would give the precedent, uh, even if you, you had to do it one, three, four, five, six times before you actually got a victory, it would give the, the court the precedent, it would give the people the precedent over... Uh, the, the banks and the and the, the way these mortgages are done and it would bring that uh, the way that they do this to the light of day and they will never allow that to happen they would burn the the system down before they allowed that to happen because that would just uh, well what happened here in about two
0: thousand seven uh, uh, this was the Dixon case a real good uh, personal uh, friend of mine very very sharp very very good at this. Uh, he hired a lawyer, and the lawyer's name is Altman from uh, Philadelphia. Uh, he moved into my, my house and spent four days here where I taught him. Right, I got all the banking charts. I got the exhibits. Uh, when he left here, I uh, believe me, that he was very, very good. In court, there was a jury trial in the Dixon case, and what he did is that he got up, and he gave a great speech, you know, like right, right, that we worked on, and the jury was waiting for it. So he gets the, the witness on the stand, and I'll never forget this: John G. Ingrosso from Boston. And he asked him. He says, "What's your name?" My name is John G. What do you do? I am. Of the collection, that manager uh, for Solvent Bank, uh, in Boston, and 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 we're going after a debt by that Mr. Dixon owes us, seventy thousand dollars. So uh, the lawyer goes back, sets up the charts, and I have the courtroom packed, sixty the people in there, and Altman goes in, uh, puts up the charts, and these charts that we have used them. Uh, downstairs, and I got a room downstairs, just like I said that I have converted to, into a bench right I got a trial trial bench, I got the jury seats, It's the right of the courthouse, and we feel film there we practice there uh, uh, he goes up and and says that uh, to him, then he go goes back, sets up the charts, goes, and stands before the judge, Judge Smale and says to the judge, Judge, the defense rest. We were going to kill him. Okay? So we were standing outside, and the jury came in, and Dixon lost. There were two girls that walked up to us standing right outside the courthouse, and they must have figured out that I was more or less in charge, and they come up to us, and this is exactly what these two two girls said. They were, in their, uh, while they were married, they had rings on. And what they said: If your lawyer would have did what he said he was going to do, and showed us those charts, do you know that Dixon would have won? And I looked at the group, and I said, You know something, guys. I think that we have just lost our rights to a trial by jury. Oh, no, no, they can't do that. They won't do that. Uh, There's five people on this call that's in my my group, and they got orders from the judges, and it says that that your demand for a jury trial is hereby denied pursuant to Pennsylvania Rule of Evidence 1150, thus denying you your rights to a trial by jury. Uh, I was an expert witness now in Trenton, and I'm on the witness stand, and I'm looking at the judge, and the judge stops and says, Hold on. But he looks at me and said, Mr. Paletta, do you know that I allowed you uh, to take the stand? I just wanted to hear what you were going to say. And I was looking at your book, but I just wanted to know what he what going to say. And he said, he says, do you know that the state of New Jersey that we no longer allow a person to have a trial by jury on a, a foreclosure case? And I ask all of you, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to sit sit back? and allow these, the criminals, you know, to get by with this, right? And if you do, and if you think, well, I'm only concerned with I and me, and I'm not concerned with us and we, and I guarantee you that your turn is coming uh, because these banks are after all the assets. Well, They said. loan nothing, and they end up with all the assets. And they never paid one red cent. But those pennies are covered with the blood of the American boys and girls that lost their, their lives, that giving us <laughs> freedoms and people. We don't have a democracy. We don't have anything that we think. And all these guys, that say, I take a pledge to defend and protect the of the Constitution of the United States. But do you know that these judges and these lawyers, that he take that that oath, they're the ones that are violating the oath that they have sworn to uh, protect us from. They're the ones that's doing the damage.
2: Yes. Yeah, it's the, yes. the manipulation by the, and the crimes by the bank protected by the law enforcement and the, the judicial system. Mickey, we we need to get
1: his book out far and wide and his message out far and wide, Mickey Paletta, uh, and, and when he revamps his site. And his book needs to – everyone needs to get their
2: hands on his work product because you will just be absolutely astounded. Mickey, we're up against the, the break – um, we're gonna have okay. we're gonna have you back on in the future. Um, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Again, his book "Universal Bankruptcy and Economic Bondage." We've covered a lot of ground, uh, and what we'll do is when we have you back, we will uh, we'll sit down and talk before we we bring you back on, and we'll we'll figure out a game plan for the next broadcast. But I want to thank you so much for for joining us we tonight. Have a lot of work to do, man. And John will be in touch. Oh,
0: guys, let me
2: just have a minute, please.
1: Okay. Well, we
3: uh, yeah, I'll of time. A- well, 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 hold I, I want
0: thank well, hold you guys I want to thank you guys for doing this and it's people like you that are going to start the plug and the spark to save this land of ours that I commend you for a job very very well done thank you
1: God bless you my friend we will be in touch
2: thank you Mickey God we'll bless be right you. back after this break don't go anywhere
1: Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High quality items, made in America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, its it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric said. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Uh, folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman the Hagman reporter family masterpreps.com i mean wow it's insane
4: masterpreps.com are you ready for what comes next
6: hi i'm grace gonzalez from training close in the woods we are an american family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 million disasters in the u.s and around the world we found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army Kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.ChangeLosonWoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
1: Report.com, Hagman and Hagman for show information, HagmanReport.com. That's the place to go, folks, for show information for articles of interest for your show prep. Any article discussed anything discussed should be on hagmanreport.com also bringing back homeland security US.com as well uh we have thanks to your efforts thanks to your support i should say thanks to your th- thanks to each and every one of you who have helped what we are doing is we are uh we are working with others and we've we have an indigenous team of investigative assets that we are actually using to go out into um infiltrate various groups organizations much in the manner of um well you know the center for medical progress i'll use them as, as an example project veritas that kind of that kind of thing michael savage was talking just the other day about muslim training camps here in the united states Now we did a lot and i mean a lot of investigation with respect to islamic training compounds here in the united states and in fact uh, uh, I was listening to, uh, this what I had to be a day or two ago. Um, I, I'm, j- I'm just trying to remember the day. It doesn't really matter. But a caller had, somebody had called in and said, Oh, yeah, the Islamburg, located in Deposit, in New York, very close to the reservoir, within two miles of the reservoir that, uh, supplies New York City their water. Uh, these, uh, Jamat El Fukra, um, the, the the organization, terrorist organization is Jamaat al-Fukra, for example. That's the, uh, uh, organization that was started by Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani from Pakistan in 1980 when he came to Brooklyn, New York and established the Muslims of the Americas or Jamaat al-Fukra, which is the community of the impoverished. And it's consisting of black males primarily. military age. What is taking place, and this is why this is so necessary to talk about right now, Uh, there are many things taking place behind the scenes. You've got this uh, reference throughout the program, of course, is the travel ban. Well, inherent in the um, refugee status of so-called refugees coming into this country are sleeper soldiers, from different countries. They're coming into the United States, and they are either, they're they're setting up shop, they're not assimilating, they're setting up shop in various cities, and some are gravitating toward the Pakistani-based Jamaat al-Fukra training sites. Now, others have done investigations on Jamaat al-Fukra. Others have done investigative stories on these training, uh, Islamic training centers, paramilitary training compounds the, the I, I have no problem saying this. The images, the photographs that you see in uh, well, even Dr. Paul L. Williams' book. He's a good friend of the program, um, The Day of Islam. That picture of the headquarters in Islamburg. I took that photograph. That was a product of our surveillance. I took that photograph. Uh, the photograph of the guardhouse of the road that goes into this compound. I took that photograph. Uh, The school bus with bullet holes. I took that photograph. The reason I'm saying this is because there is a lot of misinformation out there taking place right now. And of all the times in history where misinformation could lead to really big problems, it is today. I look at James Comey sitting there in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee or the intelligence committee testifying i look at the fbi as a whole and for the last two decades i look at the lack of of uh uh investigation ground investigation by uh, by the fbi of these training compounds and this is so relevant today because these the muslims in this country very specifically i am referring to the once terrorist organization jamaat al-fukra they are preparing for urban warfare joe was uh joe was with me uh, when we happened uh, to be conducting surveillance of a facility in the city of buffalo new york this facility we've had under surveillance for a long time and at that particular on that particular occasion you will see young men scaling walls being taught how to scale walls the the information of course when this made the media in buffalo back in the mid 2000s 2006ish 7 The explanation provided by the imam of that particular Islamic center was, well, that's that's just physical education. Not what we saw. Not what we recorded. Not what we provided to the FBI. But what's very disconcerting, and I want everyone to really understand this, is we had turned over pictures, video, at that time videotape. I was told that I was being dated by saying videotape. But nonetheless, uh, photographs, video to the FBI. And before the ink was dry on the reports that we had furnished the FBI, Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani, based in Lahore, Pakistan, had copies of the reports that we submitted. Now, I know you've heard this story before. Uh, there's at least some of you. But it's important to say again, especially today, now, June 2017, a decade after the initial investigation, the, the, the Sheik Mala- uh, Jelani, in case that name rings a bell, he was the man who Daniel Pearl was on his way to, to see, to interview, when he was kidnapped and beheaded. That was Sheik, or is Sheik Mubarak Ali Jalani, his eminence. He lives in Lahore, Pakistan. Interestingly enough, Jelani published on his website, the Muslims of the Americas, a religious fatwa against me. So I'm taking this a little bit personally, by the way. And, of course, you know the story of the FBI coming to my home at night, knocking on my door, my wife and I at home, my daughter at that time, in her mid-teens. And when the FBI is saying, good news, bad news, good news is, you know, the, the thanks for your hard work, bad news is... <laughs> You might want up your security and we can't help you. I say that only to say this. The training by Muslims in this country, the coordination between various Islamic groups based on our most recent investigation, is greater today than it was five years ago. The targets that are being selected, in my view, based on my investigative analysis, not on any direct evidence, but my investigative analysis, the targets include, especially, the most vulnerable among us, that being our children. When we have, um, when we have, Muslims of uh, military age black Muslims being recruited from prisons black Muslims being recruited through other mechanisms combining forces this is what we're seeing today with the intent on ultimately joining even though there's a a level of disdain between we'll say Jamaat al-Fukra the nation of Islam and the Arab Muslims there's this hatred among them they have common enemies, and the com- common enemies are you and I, the Christians, and especially the political conservatives. To one extent, they've refined their themselves. They've ref- they've refined their not just their tactics, but their ideologies to the extent that they want to, uh, they want to infiltrate town councils and such, and are doing so, in not just urban areas but suburban areas again all of this to say that through your your support your efforts and and our new mandate we are being able now to report to you what we're finding the fbi knows about this but what good does it do the fbi or what good does it do you if the fbi is not going to tell you anything so what so we're going to we're going to bring it right to the people so while the Dog and Comey show plays out on your television set beneath or behind the the veil of of, of that uh, carnival-like atmosphere, things are taking place. the The United States, the West, is getting a little bit more dangerous at the moment. And I and I'll and I'll tell you this. There will be a time when we will have what we saw in London on the streets of San Francisco or on the streets of New York. And the signature will be that of the group Jamad al-Fucra from the 1980s, especially at the, during their heyday with the bombings and the, and, and, and the uh, low-tech-style attacks, or the uh, rifle attacks, assassinations, bomb plots. I'm telling you right now, this is coming. This is coming to this country, and, and, and most recent investigation is bearing this out. We're seeing this resurgence. And I felt it necessary, folks, to take this time to tell you that this is exactly playing out. Neighbors are hearing more and more weapons fire at these compounds. How many of them are there at one point? there were thirty seven in the United States. Of course, they trimmed those down and and there was some attrition and some merging and what have you and others may some people took that as as to as to mean well they're actually closing up shop or becoming less popular. No, they're reformatting or re- reformulating their tactics. They are getting out into the cities. They're establishing beachheads elsewhere. They're using the refugees coming in to create this ideology uh, outside of the norm, outside of the Arab-Muslim ideology. It's kind of a hybrid between the Nation of Islam and and the arab uh, Muslim but it's there. So that, that's where we're at. I wanted to give you that update. And also, the mosques that are that are uh, opening in this country. What was said here this week, during our programming this week, is so true. And IQL Razuli had said this, and Randall Terry had said this, and others had said this. Ladies and gentlemen, watch how many churches are being purchased and Converted into mosques. Each one of these is a. a they are conquering. It, it, it's in, in their minds that this is them conquering not just our culture, not just our people, but our history and our ideology. That's taking place more and more. While Christianity is the fastest-growing religion in the Middle East, Islam is taking root and on fire, growing exponentially here in the United States through the prison prison systems. Many of the systems, by the way, when you get into the prison systems themselves, set up during the Bush and... um, Obama administrations the bush administration the obama regime all of this is working together to bring about this urban suburban civil war at least one component of it and and i and i fear uh, based on the the investigative results that again the most vulnerable will be the children will be schools or soft targets like we saw in london the last two uh, two attacks but again i felt uh, folks i felt it important enough to tell you this is what we are investing our time in it, it, extremely important that's the islamic threat then there are other threats that include the communist threat which overlaps into the greed that's the what I just described, I'll, I'll just call it the green threat. The red threat or the communist threat overlaps into the green threat. That the communists are weaponizing Islam and the new world order people, if that's, if that's the choice, uh, term, choice, uh, phrase to use, they are weaponizing everything to use against all of us including race economic factors the haves versus the have nots and on and on the religious differences and lastly and not the least important of which you have a corporate war taking place this is something Sean Hannity alluded to but didn't come right out and say there is a war taking place to silence the conservative voices in this country. The political conservatives are high on the list, obviously, but the Christian conservatives are even higher. If you are a Christian and a conservative, and you are speaking out against things such as abortion, such as homosexual unit uh, uh, marriage, which is an oxymoron, and Islam, Closed borders, or if you're speaking against open borders, if you're an advocate for uh, borders, language and culture, as Michael Savage has talked about, you're high on the list. And they will go after you in an, any number of different ways. The war is asymmetrical in nature. So please understand, this war has gone hot. It is a hot war. It's being fought in the boardrooms. It is being fought, uh, against The boardrooms. It is being fought against the board members. It's being fought against us. And soon it'll be fought against you. But we're here for you and we're here to keep you informed and to fight alongside of you and with you. That is my message. That's my message for today.
2: All right. We have what, maybe nine minutes left before we hit the top of the hour break, or the top of the hour break before we hit the end of the show. I um, want to cover a few things and uh, the reason I'm hesitant here is because I just need to press two more buttons and then folks, go to HagmanReport.com and you can uh, this next story I'm going to talk about, you can uh, bookmark this story and read it for yourself. The NSA leaker reality winner that's just the craziest name ever uh, went to court today and pleaded not guilty and she was denied bail she's gonna have to stay in jail but some of the more some interesting information uh we know that she is a hard uh, left-winger anti-trumper well we now learn uh, and we've seen her her social media pages they are just you know being white is terrorism uh wanting to side with iran over america and you know, all this anti Trump stuff, how he's racist, how she hates him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now we learn that she also stated her interest in wanting to burn down the White House and move to Kurdistan and pledge her allegiance to the Taliban. These are all things that are um, being found out later uh, as she is being prosecuted for leaking top secret classified information to uh from the n s a to a journalist, I believe at the intercept, I'm not sure if that's been substantiated yet, but this is just a strange case, and I know we're gonna uh, people are looking into this sergeant Tim did a piece on on her that was that's up on hagman report. You have to scroll down a little bit uh load more stories underneath the news feed, and uh he's got a good breakdown of what exactly it is uh, he found with her. But I guess moving back to to the news of the day, the Comey testimony, we will continue to talk about uh, the NSA leakers. And I'm sure that Comey today in this testimony admitted that he leaked information to the media. And there's a great article up on the New American Comey's testimony, A Study in Contradictions, that we're going to get into a little bit. Comey gave sworn testimony on May 3rd, and this testimony that he gave... Today, directly contradicted that previous testimony. In May 3rd, Comey said under oath and on camera that no one ever told him to kill an investigation. Then today, he said that President Trump had done just that by telling him to drop the investigation into Michael Flynn and Attorney General Loretta Lynch also told him not to call the Clinton email investigation an investigation but refer to it as a matter. There are a number of contradictions in this article. I'll post this also on HagmanReport.com. But I want to draw your attention to uh, some of the media reaction to what we saw with Comey's testimony today. Now, uh, Drudge has a few articles up, or they just change, changed it uh, up on the top there to uh, what's going on in the UK with Theresa May. But it pointed out how a number of uh, news organizations, including CNN and others, had to change, uh, correct, or change their uh, stories because it, with Comey's testimony, it it ruined what the New York Times and the CNN were reporting that uh, this was going to show that Trump did interfere with the investigation, with the obstruction of justice, that there was an investigation into Trump and the reason that Trump fired Comey was related only to that investigation. But one of the more interesting pieces that came out today was from Chris Matthews. And, folks, this is also on HagmanReport.com. Chris Matthews claims of... Trump collusion came apart after Comey's testimony. MSNBC host Chris Matthews today said that theories about President Donald Trump's colluding with the Russians during the 2016 election came apart after FBI Director Comey's congressional testimony. Where's the there there, Matthews asked in a clip flagged by the Washington Examiner. Comey appeared before the Senate Intelligence Committee, Uh, to answer questions related to his firing, his past meetings with Trump, and the investigation into ties between Trump and Russia. During his testimony, Comey validated past claims that Trump was not personally being investigated and stated his opinion that the president had not wanted him to drop the investigation, only the probe into Michael Flynn. The assumption of the critics of the president, of his pursuers, you might say, is that somewhere along the line in the last year, the president had something to do with colluding with the Russians, Matthews said. But after Comey's testimony, what came apart was that theory in two regards, according to Matthews. First, Comey's testimony said that Trump supported the Russia investigation. Second, Comey's testimony indicated that Flynn wasn't central to the Russia investigation, and therefore Flynn could not be flipped to testify against Trump with incriminating information on the Russia collusion matthews said he had always assumed that trump that that was what trump feared regarding flynn and if that's not the case where where's the there there Uh, matthews asked again questioning the merits of those claiming trump colluded with moscow now whether this is a a stunning uh lapse of of (laughs) or into sanity by matthews or he is telling the truth as how he sees it i think it's a very interesting, as we've had a number of guests on this week where we asked what we thought, where we thought the Russia collusion investigation was going to go after here. Um, but then you have the other side of this where you have a, you just had Matthews, uh, an MSNBC left-wing journalist actually telling, uh, more of the truth than anything else. On the other side of this, you have CBS reporting Comey's testimony in a completely different light drawing completely different conclusions from the same testimony. CBS reported Comey gave every indication Trump is, in fact, under investigation. And this article goes on to talk about one of the largest uh, revelations to come out of the Senate Intelligence Committee's public hearing with former FBI Director James Comey on Thursday was that President Trump was not under investigation. That fact didn't seem to sit well with CBS's John Dickerson when he appeared during CBS News special report after the hearing. Almost desperately, Dickerson tried to urge, Trump had to be under scrutiny. So a president who was once concerned about not being under investigation, those actions he took may now, in fact, make him under investigation. Again, this is more of just the media trying to push the idea that there is some criminal behavior here with Trump, and they're grasping at straws because they're after the testimony today, there's still been no evidence. There has still been nothing. But innuendo and in accusations
1: uh, how much how much do we need against <laughs> the uh, Clinton uh, camp against Obama? Uh, Obama wiretapping, uh, Obama unmasking Clinton, of course, with his with her um, servers, uh, Benghazi, the meeting on the tarmac. Obstruction of justice charges that should be
2: laid against Lynch. But this is about Trump and Russia. How mm-hmm. dare exactly. you deflect? Exactly. This deflect. is a right-wing conspiracy. Project. Yes. That's the, I mean, if you read the comments yeah. on Huffington Post and other websites, you see that constantly. And I guess, um, it, it I know it's kind of out, out there, but one of the things that, you know, we have to do to remain objective is look at the sides of an argument. Of course. And, Mind in the, bias with mine and the out wrong there. side. <laughs> that's right. With the bias out there, though, <laughs> many of these people get into this, you know, tunnel vision or 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 this line of thinking. Or, or where they, um, I notice a lot of people do this who, who were in the alternative media, and I guess rightfully so in this age of media deception. But they will search for the articles that prove their point of view, and that's okay as long as you admit to yourself that that's what you're doing.
1: If you have an agenda, that's right. As investigators, you, you have... if Okay, us being investigators, you can't have any type of political agenda whatsoever. And... It, 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 pains me to, to, to watch Comey claim not to have any political agenda yet yields to people like Lynch and to Clinton. Yeah. Uh, and, and then turn around and because, you know, he was very, he was very upset about being fired when he was 3,000 miles away from home. Uh, he, he comes out and man, he, he leads off with some, some nasty statements, uh, designed, I believe, designed to really, uh, look, I, I think those were personal. Attacks against Donald Trump, not professional but personal. Uh, his opening remarks, to in the, the, those written uh, transcripts that he provided prior to the hearings, uh, the hearing I believe that uh, that was a personal attack against Donald Trump for the way he was fired, the way he was treated, and and can you imagine this guy? Uh, saying, "I did not want to be alone in the room with Donald yeah. Trump."
2: I mean, my goodness, what, what are you twelve?
1: That come was on. crazy. I
2: read that. This You're morning. the head of the FBI. I had to reread that to make sure. I had to actually go into the article and look past the headline because I, I mean, thought it was on. in reference to you know, I don't want to be in a room alone with this guy because
1: I was in a doctor's office and I heard that and I, and I almost needed a doctor to revive me.
2: Well, I, there was no reason he said that. God. That was the beginning and end of the Man. statement. It wasn't like because I don't want to be pressured or because I don't want to talk to him. It was just. I don't want to be in the room with him. Yeah, Some exactly. Kind of bully, uh, or bullied victim mentality there. But this whole thing is a mess. Again, Comey contradicting himself many times the media. Uh, it's actually pretty tame compared to what I thought it was going to be. But I think that is due to two things. One, the pre release of Comey's testimony, uh, the statement that was released yesterday and the lack of any smoking gun that these people were expecting to see, uh, regarding Trump and Russia from Comey's testimony. But we still have tomorrow, and uh, they're not going to leave Trump alone, so what are they going to come up with next that is going to continue to try to hurt their his agenda uh, from the, the political left, the anti-Trump right, and the media? That'll do it for us tonight, folks. Thank each and every one of you for joining us. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.